I really think staying in a place of grace and gratitude is so important because what I mean, what are you going to do? You're only going to feel good about yourself when you're number one on IMDb. I mean, I hope not because that will happen for like 10 people. And I promise you, I know a couple of those people now. And once you get to the top of the mountain, it's a, it's an immediate fear that you're now sliding down. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And welcome, everyone, to episode 300. We made it. What a milestone. Thank you all for helping us to get here. And as you've probably seen from our episode artwork, This episode is dedicated to a day in the life of a series regular. We are bringing you interviews from the set, interviews from uh, our past guest, Chelsea Crisp's home, where we interviewed her extensively on what that is like to be a series regular. And then she even went on to set and interviewed uh, writers and producers and other actors from the show. We got interviews with people in the production office, the main hub of a television show. If you've ever wanted to know what it was like to see a TV show happen from the inside out, that is what this episode is all about. We're so excited to bring it to you. That is episode 300. It packs a wallop. Stay tuned. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors that you guys have heard us mention on pretty much every episode from the past uh, 150 episodes or so. Guys, this episode, this app, I should say, is available right now in the iTunes App Store. If you want to learn your lines, if you want to be off book quickly and reliably for your auditions, if you want to easily explore your character and make stronger choices and book the room and do a bunch of other cool stuff, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now where you can check out all the great features in this newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed specifically for actors, specifically by actors. So check it out, rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey everybody, AJ, we made it, brother. Yeah, what do we get? <laughs> the satisfaction of producing, having produced 300 episodes that people have told us they 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 dig, they find valuable. That that that's a really awesome feeling. I definitely feel that satisfaction. I will I will uh, admit and agree to that, my friend. Yeah, yeah. And congratulations to you, and to you too, and to everybody on the team and everybody in the community. I mean, this this is definitely a team effort, not to sort of pat ourselves on the back too, you know, um, <laughs> prominently here at the top of the episode. But everybody made this happen. Everybody in the community made this happen. Literally, if we did not have people listening and letting us know what they liked and didn't like and wanted to hear and recommending things and like we would we would have just stopped we would have stopped probably so it's it, this is definitely a team effort and and uh you know congratulations to all of us um it's just a real honor to uh have played a part in you know helping all the boats rise with the tide 
for sure. And uh, we've got a lot of that here uh, on this episode. So much of what you'll hear is about, uh, you know, how to uh, be a supportive member of a collaborative environment. And uh, we've got a lot of content, so we definitely want to dive in here. Just one quick reminder, we'll remind you again at the end of the episode as well, that uh, our party is on uh, December Monday night, December 11th at 7 p.m. at the parlor on Melrose in Hollywood. Come hang out with us. We've got an RSVP on our Facebook page. That's right. And we'll have a link to all of that, everything you need to know, and a link to the RSVP page also on our website in the show notes for this episode. So just head over there to to get all that stuff in one easy place. Beautiful. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention here before we jump in is that uh, VO to GoGo. You guys have heard us talk about this a lot. VO, the number two, GoGo.com, is having a really cool kind of kickoff for 2018. So if you want to learn more about that and see some really great video content from David H. Lawrence, the 17th, a guy whose career I think we all would love to emulate in at least some small way, shape, or form, uh, check out insideacting.net slash VO, and you'll get access to some pretty stellar stuff. Even if you're not all in or interested in VO necessarily, Uh, There's a lot of sort of bleed over from the voiceover world into the acting world and vice versa. So much of what makes for a successful voiceover career also makes for a successful acting career. Everything from mindset to how to sort of run your day and run your business and handle relationships with clients and marketing. It's just a real goldmine of content. So check it out, insideacting.net slash VO for all that free stuff that uh, I think you'll really dig. We're, we're very honored and excited to be partnering with David on this. Again, insideacting.net slash VO. Check it out. We're going to start our journey here in a day in the life of a series regular on the lot. And uh, we'll just sort of break in from time to time to kind of introduce uh, new segments. So uh, this is uh, the first day we met Chelsea on the Fox lot where they shoot her television show fresh off the boat. And uh, and we'll let uh, we'll let that uh, part of the interview roll and take it from there. So. My week varies depending on how heavy my character is in an episode. So if I have a big storyline, then a good portion of my week might be shooting. If I have a smaller storyline, then I get a little more of that week to myself to work on other projects, which we can talk about. Um, But the things that always happen, we have fittings, uh, which is where we're going to go now. I'm going to take you guys to the wardrobe department. We have table reads, which we'll do after that. And then we shoot in a given week. Uh, not the same episode that we're doing the fittings and the table reads for, but right. that would be for the following week. Right. And then we would be doing ADR on the episode from maybe two to three weeks ago. So that would all happen in the span of one week. So we're basically maybe touching three to four episodes within a given week. On top of that, we would have publicity commitments. For me this week, I have a couple of interviews, and then on Saturday I have a photo shoot for a magazine. Uh, so that, that all falls in a given week. I, a big part of my schedule is I work out six days a week, which sometimes is really challenging on a week like last week where I worked Monday to Friday, kind of 10 to 12 hour days every day. And then you got to fit in a workout somewhere around the edges. Oh, and improv. I still do improv. So I still rehearse with a group and perform with a group, which is really at this point only a once a week commitment. I had a, a more full-time commitment to an all-female group, but we're taking a break right now. So that's given me a lot of time back. 
That was one of the things we, we didn't get a chance to talk about when we had yeah, you on before. We, we, we sort of ran out of time. But is it a typical uh, shoot schedule for a television show where, like, everything gets shot in, like, seven, eight days worth of shooting? Kinda? For us, because we're a half-hour show and we're single cam, um, we shoot Monday to Friday. We do a full episode. Oh, okay. So five days. Yeah. With the exception, uh, if, it's a, if it's an episode that requires a lot of locations, it might not be physical, physically possible. So we'll move some scenes either to the next week or to a hiatus week because we'll shoot three weeks on and then we'll take one week off. So those um, hiatus weeks sometimes become pickup days for anything that maybe we didn't finish. And our... We're able to do that because our directors rotate. So we had one director for episode 401, our first episode of the season. We had another, we'll have another director right now shooting 402. And then you guys will meet, uh, or at least see the director for 403 uh, today in the table read. If you don't meet her today, you'll meet her when you're on set next week when we're shooting that. So that director will stay with us, I think, if I understand it correctly, for about a three-week period. They'll prep for one week, shoot for one week, and then go into post-production for a week. They, much like us, directors can get branded as well. So a lot of these men and women that we have directing kind of go to other sitcoms from us. They, they also can do a lot of like single-camera uh, comedy. And yeah. much like us in the hiatus, a lot of them will then go direct a film. It's almost like the directing version of typecasting. It is. Yeah. It, it really is, because they've you know, shown that they can deliver that kind of material successfully. So if you are an actor, how that's useful for us is if you are someone that is really specific and you know what kind of if television is what you want to be in if you know what kind of show you want to be on you will notice pretty quickly that the same directors will move around a lot of the shows that you'd like to work on that's something that I didn't know before really focusing on comedy and didn't fully see the whole picture of until working on this show but a lot of the directors I did guest star work for have since come in and directed the show, and I've had the chance to thank them because sometimes one of our directors gave me my very first co-star wow. uh, on The Office a long time ago, and then another one of our directors gave me my very first top-of-show guest star. I, I maybe on that day wasn't comfortable enough or didn't just didn't tell them for whatever reason, probably because I was nervous, but here in this environment where they're coming in to direct this show, it's it's much easier for me to, to say thank you and let them yeah. know how significant that was for me. Which they love. I mean, that's so great for them. They don't, they don't usually hear that stuff that often. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this right here is our soundstage. And it actually is, now, now that we have, um, you know, four seasons, some stability, it's like really ours now. Like, they didn't even tear our sets down over the summer, which is really cool. It's nice, you know, I've never had that before to come back to the same stage year to year and have it actually feel like home. Um, so that's very fun to do. Okay, guys, so we're going to jump to a different day, still on set. This interview was actually conducted by our production coordinator, Jen Levin, because Trevor and I were not able to make it to set this day. And uh, you'll hear a lot about uh, some of the things that Chelsea spends her time on on a shoot day, um, including uh, what she does with her uh, downtime or lack thereof, and what it's like to work with multiple directors. I don't want to like downplay how intense the hours are because I do think that's really important to know. You hear it, you kind of know that it's out there, but then when, when you experience it, it, it is pretty intense. Um, your life, the way that you're, the way that I was used to living my life 
when it came to like day jobs and auditions and all those things like that shifted entirely and obviously the great part is you're on a show you're getting some financial stability so that's amazing and as the bank account fills up your time dwindles <laughs> it gets really not a lot of time to spend that money <laughs> um, or even learn what to do with it but it's it, it definitely is a significant shift so having your life together in a way that's functional becomes really 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 important because you stop having the hours to do some of the most basic things and then and- what you were also saying before was because of your character having so much hair and makeup and touch-ups even your dance set if you're here for 16 hours you're not necessarily sitting down a lot you don't get that sit and wait time you do a lot of preparation time so you lose kind of the downtime you might have to manage life well it's three o'clock in the afternoon and this is only the second time we've been able to take out to talk today (laughs) so yes (laughs) it's you don't get a lot of day to day and 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 i just checked my phone before we sat down and my husband's like where are you (laughs) what's going on so yeah it can be it can be really intense and i i think um i it's something that i didn't realize and i know it's something that you know, your friends and family will go through with you as well because you definitely become less available. It's harder to get. And then, you know, you might leave and have seven phone calls that you need to return, but you have a half an hour maybe that you have available before you have to sleep, get up, shower, blow dry your hair, and get back to work. So everyone has assistance after assistance. They need people to do those little things, run to the bank, go to the post office. Those are things that you kind of lose. You absolutely do. I felt very silly and weird hiring an assistant but I had to I, I had to I, I don't think I, I'm a supporting character <laughs> so and you know part of that though is that I also I'm very busy outside of this job too but I but I do think it's it's just something that you you looking for me yeah all right oh oh we're not gonna not doing much no I thought I can we, pause initially this. we're going to wrap by four sounds like coming up. yeah no I think we so that's a great example. So I just found out that I'm not rapping when I thought I was going to rap. And because the way my week looked, I knew I was going to be off by a certain time today. I had planned tonight to see a play with a friend that I haven't seen in probably six, seven months. He's a very close friend. And now I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. <laughs> so it, it is a, um, yeah, it's, it's a shift. It's a definite shift. It's totally worth it. I mean, I mean I'm not complaining because I, I know I'm very lucky. So... In your rare downtime when you're here, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you do like to do between takes or while you're waiting uh, to help pass the the few moments of free time that you have? The only time I really have downtime is if there's a scene in between scenes that I'm working on. So if, let's say, we we finish the scene and then they were going to shoot something else and then I was in the one after, then I might have an hour and a half. Um, and that is, that's when you catch up on phone calls. That's when you, I have an interview that I have to turn in today, a written interview for a magazine that that's usually when you do stuff like that. So it's still the busy work time. You don't get to do a lot of fun things. No, (laughs) no, no weekends, but also I, to, to be fair, I mean, I'm, I'm married, I am in a comedy troupe, I am writing a screenplay, I'm learning how to direct, so I'm, some of that is probably by design. Um, my schedule tends to be very busy, so some of that's probably just me, but even even if it wasn't, if things were a little more simplified, um, there still isn't that much free time. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned just now about getting ready to direct. 
Is that something that you were inspired to do because you've been able to watch the directors on set here, or is that something you've always wanted to do? I've always directed theater, and I've always wanted to direct on camera. I just haven't yet. But through, yeah, we, we have a lot of directors that come in and out here and a lot of people that come back. And over the years, a lot of them have nudged and encouraged me in that direction. So I think this is the year that I'm going to stop telling myself that I only know how to direct theater <laughs> and, um, and just take a shot and see, see how I'm going to probably direct um, a short film. And I have an indie that I'm writing that ideally I'd like to direct down the road. So can take some steps in that direction. And you're going to be able to follow along or observe some of the directors um, on set here. Yeah, one of the things that is great about getting to plant your feet somewhere is that you, you do see a lot of directors come through. It's a really cool thing. Um, and for me, as someone who focused on sitcoms, a lot of directors that I, whose names I knew from credits or, or directors I worked with as a guest star have come here and directed. So I've gotten to meet a lot of directors that I wanted to meet and then get to know better some people that I had worked with before briefly and actually thank them because... A lot of a couple of the directors. One gave me my very first guest star, wow. um, and one gave me my very first recurring. And I never had. I didn't know them when those things happened. I didn't get the chance to say thank you or to tell them how much that meant to me. And I've had uh, been able to do that here through this environment, which is awesome. And then yeah, you just you get to see people's different styles. Having a new director every week, you really see. Um, there's a lot that we don't see on the actor side because they're doing a lot of prep work. They're doing. Um, a lot of stuff to get ready for their episode. They're certainly here before us. They're here after us. So there's a ton that they do that we are not aware of. But for the stuff that we do see, the way that they hands-on direct us day to day, it's cool to see the different styles. So we were lucky enough when we were on set on the day that all three of us were on set, we were lucky enough to attend a table read. And of course, when you're at a table read, um, a lot of the major players in the show are going to show up to check out the episode and see how their work uh, is either going or what work they have cut out for them next. And it was at this table read that we were able to get a very quick interview with the two casting directors on Fresh Off the Boat, Michael Nicolo and Michelle Seaman. You know, we're focusing on a week, a week in the life of a series regular. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about the process of finding someone like a, a, a Chelsea Crisp for w the pilot when you guys were first putting together the pilot. Well, Chelsea was actually came from the director of the pilot. Um, you know, we kind of put like lists together and um, because it originally started out as a recurring role. Mm -hmm. And then um, because Chelsea's so great, they... Upgrade, you know, they decided to make her a series regular so that, you know, we, she exclusively is on this show. So, um, but what we did for that role specifically, we gathered like some demo reels, we got some, you know, lists together, presented them to um, the director and the producers. And um, Lynn Shelton, who was the director, was actually like, oh my God, you know, Chelsea Crisp was um, so great on New Girl when I directed her. Like, what about her? And then it was like, you know, so everybody was like, yeah, we love her. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So that's how that that came up. But it's true. I mean, that's exactly how that all um, came across, came up. You know what's so interesting about that too? That might be interesting to your listeners. If I had come in and auditioned for this part, I wouldn't have gotten this part because I never could have made myself look the way that the show makes me look. So like, I I don't actually think I don't know if I would have gotten it if I'd come in and auditioned because I'm so different, really. 
Yeah, and it was like, I mean, you've definitely made Honey the character that she is now. Um, and I love this interview. <laughs> like, I like where this well, is going. Also, I mean, because in the pilot, if, I think if you remember, like, she had, like, one or two lines, yeah. I think, at the moment. And then... And then that got bumped to, like, the second episode, I think. And then the storyline just grew from there. So, I, I mean, I think at the time, like, nobody really knew exactly what Honey was going to end up being on the show. And it just, the character grew and grew and grew. And it is what it is today. You know, because of you. So, I don't know. You know, it's like when you have, like, two lines to cast somebody off of. I have no idea. I mean, you know. Yeah. But, but that's just how this went down. Is the process uh, the process must be a lot different than for putting together a pilot cast than, than your sort of week to week job? Uh, the pace is slower. Um, you can sort of well, is it? Um, wait, no, <laughs> it's not. The pace on pilots are nuts because everybody's really? fighting for the same people, for the same actors, and Got so it. you're okay. losing people left and right, um, or people are just getting straight offers, and it's it's. Um, I'm trying to think of a better word than the one I want to use, but it's a circus, basically. <laughs> um, it is, but you know, it's a, I guess, a thing that has, you know, been. This is just the process, and it's been for many, many years before I even started in casting. This is kind of how how it's been, but you know, and even on episodic, it's you have five days on a half hour, you know, sitcom to cast the next episode. Right. So that even like depending on how many guest casters in the episode that can be crazy too but pilots it's you know you have like eight to ten weeks to cast from you know top to bottom we did four weeks this year we did a pilot in four weeks we did a pilot in wow. four weeks yeah. see that's what i, I was saying is like you have a week you have a week from episode to episode but with a pilot of four to eight weeks ish yeah and that's so really it seems like you have more time but that's not actually uh, the case from- well, we already had the lead. Uh, the lead yeah. It's yeah. also simultaneous. So when they're doing this, which you guys have done up to three pilots a year, I think. Usually we do you? like two, three. If we're really ambitious, we'll do four. Because wow. I have a, um, a casting partner, Anya Koloff, so we'll split things up sometimes. Okay. And we work on things together. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, usually. So we'll be doing our guest cast for like Fresh Off the Boat or other shows that we um, work on. And we'll be doing um, pilots at the same time. Wow. Yeah, it's huge. It's high, high volume. Yeah. And I think actors forget yeah. that. We go in for that audition for the series regular, and we're so in our world of how badly we want it, and we have no idea what their world looks <laughs> like. And, and often they just, yeah. am I right? You just yeah. want us to come in and be right for it. <clears throat> Yay! I mean, look, we want actors to, we're like, not sound like corny or anything, but we always like want actors to do their best job, and we always want them to feel like they leave doing their best job, and we want to cast the role. So, you know, yeah, it's like we, we, the sooner you cast that role, you can move on to other things, you know? Right. How does the uh, series regular cast that's already in place affect the casting of the other roles that come in, like guest stars and co stars and stuff, or does it at all? I mean, it just depends. I mean, on a show like Fresh Off the Boat, it's very, it's specific. Um, you know, just so a lot. You know, the story is a little bit fish out of water. So obviously, it takes it's about an Asian family in suburbia in Orlando, Florida, that's kind of surrounded by you know white folks. So um, I, mean, I hope that's okay. Is that okay to say? I don't know. I know we're not airing this well. Um, okay, you can edit that out. If it's, uh, <laughs> um, so you know, so you do kind of have to cast a little bit, but you obviously to make things real in the real world we're very um 
we're very aware of diversity on the show. So it's like you can't just have, you know, this Asian family and everybody else is white. You, it's just not realistic that way. Um, so we're very aware of, like, diversity on the show. And not just in, like, the co-stars or the one-liners, but also, like, in the guest cast. Like, yeah. the guest stars, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Did that we answer get, that question? Yeah. I'll tell you, one of my favorite things about the casting on our show I don't know if it's you guys or people wanting to work with and for Nanachka or probably some combination of that, but we, as a person who does comedy, we get the most amazing comedic actors that, like, people I've watched my whole life or people that I'm kind of just in awe of right now. I'll just walk into work one day and they're sitting next to me in the makeup yeah. chair, and that is the coolest <laughs> experience. Yeah. I mean, people like to work on the show. It's a combination. It's like, you know, the show is fairly successful and the, the cast, everybody, you know, people that come and do the show I'll get phone calls from their agents and they'll say like oh my god they had so much fun so if like you want to bring them back or whatever like people just like working on the, on the show and so and it is the material is really funny so it's kind of a win-win people like working with the cast and with Notch and Jake and Melvin and everybody involved on the show from you know like top to bottom it's, it's a it, you know we're lucky yeah. To be able to work on a show where we like everyone. Yeah, I was going to say, it must feel really good to be in the room having you know actors come in and audition for a part. And you know that when when you find the right person, you're going to put them on a set that's like really cool. They're yeah. hanging out with people they really like. Exactly. But also vice versa. You know, we, we don't want to put any problematic folks on the set. So if we know there's you know going to be issues, we, we like to warn people. How, how do you? So how do you find out in advance? If they, if, if, you hear if things. I mean, we know. Actor. You you hear things. You know. I mean, people, look. It's a small. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe I shouldn't go so into this, but you you hear things. So if you no, that's, that's as far as I'm getting into. It. You hear things, and then we'll just warn people. And if yeah. you know, it's if it's who they want and it's right for the role, then it's a week. Yeah. And they they don't need to come back if it's a problem. <laughs> we also meet them in an audition. It's well, another sometimes, way but that... sometimes if it's like an offer sort of situation, because yeah. um, a lot of times it, it is straight offers. A lot of times for a lot of these guest star roles, especially the bigger ones. Yeah. So you know. Got it. Yeah. Right, cool. Trev, do you have anything? There's so much <laughs> that I want to get into, but we don't have enough time. Okay. Because I want to hear about like your process and what you look for and and uh, and and things that actors consistently do wrong. That's one of my favorite <laughs> questions. Like, what is something that act you see actors do wrong a lot that, that you wish they wouldn't do? And then maybe one thing that people do right sometimes that you wish there was more of. I don't know if we have... We what have time is it? We have 10 minutes? <laughs> All right. I mean, I would say, like, my biggest thing is, like, I always I tell actors this a lot. It's like, come in, do the best job you can, and kind of get out of the room on a high note. I've seen actors who come in, and like, especially with like the directors and producers and people in the room, and they're feeling good, especially if it's like a comedy and people are laughing, and then they'll start getting like bigger. It's like kind of don't you don't need to do that. And then once the audition is done, it's kind of like get out of there like yeah. while you're on the high because once you start talking, sometimes like actors will get weird and they're nervous and they get like diarrhea of the mouth. And I've seen <laughs> people talk themselves out of roles, so I would say like definitely be aware of that like mm. come in do a great job and leave knowing you did a really good job i mean it's nice to ex exchange like pleasantries and stuff like that but you don't need to tell like your weirdest story and like scare people um, keep it professional yeah exactly <laughs> One of my weirdest stories is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, Once you're hired, you can use, talk about it on set. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Someone yeah, else yeah. was like, 
besides the cast. Yeah, well, not necessarily just us. I mean, like, I've, trust me, I've seen it and kind of heard it all, a lot of, a lot of it anyway. Um, but directors and producers get, like, freaked out because you do have to have this person on set. So, if, like, it's a weird thing, you know. Yeah. You don't want to necessarily be around that. Yeah. I feel like we hear that time and time again on the podcast, and it's so important to just show that you have the ability to be a professional and not a pain in the right. ass on, on well, that set. Too. And that's I'm a like, huge part of the yeah. process. It's like, is this somebody I'm going to be proud to recommend to be on right. set with for a week with everybody? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, you want to be yeah. able to make sure. Every, there's so many other elements and things that are going into this that you don't want to have to worry about, you know. Yeah. This one particular actor, who knows what what they're gonna do or say. Yeah. And then I mean, what, what is? What but is, that doesn't happen that often. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying it's like it happens a lot. Sure, but. sure. And then what's maybe something that you see actors do consistently that you're like, oh, thank God these people are doing this. <laughs> I wish more actors knew to be prepared. This. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. As simple as that? <laughs> I think so. What does yeah, that mean I mean, to you? Especially that mean... for a series regular, which is what you guys okay. were talking about. If you come in and unprepared for a series regular role, I mean, that baffles me. I mean, what, do, what does prepared look like to you? Off book? Well, I always okay. say, like, you know, the first audition, I don't think you ever have to be, like, off book. By the time you get to, like, the chemistry read or screen test, you should be off book. You know what I mean? But... I mean, at least be familiar with the material on your first on your first go around. I mean, a lot of people, have, and I get it because during pilot season, you're going from like one audition to another audition. Sometimes, like in Santa Monica to North Hollywood, back to Santa Monica. So, you know, it's hard to kind of retain everything, especially when you're going on like ten auditions a day. But be familiar with it. You know, I mean, that's like the biggest thing yeah. that I can yeah. think of at this. Wow. Particular moment. It's funny because we've we've asked that question before, and a lot of times we'll get like, <clears throat> "Remember your headshot? Remember to bring your headshot." And like, does anybody take a lot of people? Yeah. But apparently, yeah. like, apparently it's something that like a lot of actors get wrong a lot. Um, I mean, I guess now. I mean, if somebody has one, I'm like, sure, I'll take it because I'm. I'm older, so I'd like to. I like. I'm older than say Michelle, so <laughs> I'm like still in that like space of like, oh, I like to t- like feel it and yeah. like, you know, flip through. It's a little bit easier and like I'm not computer savvy, so when it freezes and stuff like that, I get frustrated. So it's like it's nice to have them, but I'm also kind of like, I, if you don't have them, I'm not like, oh, that's it. You're not getting the job. I know what you look like, you know. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. A lot of actors sometimes will miss an audition um, because they're not in town, and then a lot of them will send in a self-tape no matter what. And I feel like that's something, like, I appreciate a lot, that they're going to try to, you know, send in a self-tape. They're trying to put themselves out there rather Mm. than just, I'm not going to be there, skip this audition. Like, Mm. we cast off self-tape. I mean, if you do a great job... Um, you know, it's, and you're working, shooting somewhere. We appreciate you took the time out, get someone to read with you, and and send in a tape. Yeah. Just give as yourself long as a it shot. Looks good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you said you said no matter what, they'll send one in no matter what. So no, that... I mean there are people who um, will just right. skip. You know, they're, they're not there, so they just they'll, don't. They don't commit. They're going to miss out on that particular job and hope yeah, that you know there's wow. someone who you know, yeah goes yeah. there now, puts himself out there. You know, yeah. sends a self tape. Well, in that case, really quickly, because we're almost, we want to get, get you guys mm-hmm. back inside. What are some do's and don'ts in, uh, in the self tape sort of side of things? Well, don't do it on the side of the four hundred five at rush hour. Okay. <laughs> Check. Just try and make it look as professional as possible. I know it's like hard. The one thing I will say really quickly: have an actual. Per-
person read with you. There's this weird trend. <laughs> Chelsea's shaking her head. <laughs> where like the actor will record themselves doing the, the mm. other dialogue. Oh my and God, the... that's not why I was shaking. My head. That happens. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, voice, right? Well, no, not even that. But it's like the oh. the pacing gets thrown all off, and like there's like weird pauses, and so they'll they're playing to themselves. Right. So I'm like I'm always like just find like any literate person <laughs> to just read opposite you because. It's only going to make you look better if they're not, like, the best actor. I were, we got, um, but that would be it. Now, as you may already know or remember from uh, Chelsea's previous episode on Inside Acting, she's extremely generous with her time and her ideas and her support. And, you know, she really wants all actors to succeed. So... Uh, one of the things she did to help us out with this episode is she actually conducted a few interviews for us. So, um, you know, being that she's a series regular, she's got, you know, access to people that we may or may not have had access to. And so uh, coming up, we've got three interviews, uh, two with other series regulars on the show, Constance Wu and Lucille Soong, and then one with one of the writer producers on the show, Eric Ziabrowski. So we're going to stack those all together here, guys, and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, I'm sitting here with Constance Wu. We are waiting for them to set up the next scene. So, Constance, what <laughs> What was... Uh, okay, so thinking back before you got this gig and you thought what a series regular would be like versus life now where you actually have it, we're four years in, what was the biggest surprise for you? Right, yes, this was my first series regular job and actually pretty much my first network television job. Mm-hmm. Um... And I was actually really surprised that that um, there's a different director every week. Yeah. yeah. Like, I sort of thought maybe it was like one or two for the whole season. And I think some shows, they do it that way. But yeah. at least in this network comedy, we have at least like at least like eight or ten different directors per season. Yeah, at least, if not more. Yeah. And we have a few that come back season to season. Yes. That yes. might do like two or three in a year. Is yeah, totally. Does three? Yeah. Uh, Maybe Lynn Shelton. Bill Purple. Bill Purple, yeah. And the, the director we have this week yeah, is Jay. completely new. We've never worked with him mm-hmm. previously. So um, that's cool. It's just cool to see how different directors work and... Um, and how they work on TV versus movies. Yeah, that is definitely something I noticed too. And do you feel like it's a really different relationship? TV versus movies? Um, yeah. Because yeah. I kind of feel like in TV, um, when, when a director is directing a movie, they have much more say. Whereas I think in TV, when a director is directing, the showrunner sort of has the ultimate say so that, you know, you can keep all the shows consistent from the ones that the director, that director didn't direct like two weeks ago or something. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the power of the showrunner was something that is definitely very different from working in movies. Yes. Okay, I'm here with Lucille soon. We just finished our scene for the day. We've already put in a full work day, and it is 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Lucille just told me when I asked if she would want to do an interview for this podcast that this show, being a series regular on this show, is her dream come true. So, Lucille, do you want to tell us about that? That's right. I always wanted to be in a TV show. Not just a TV show, sitcom. Yeah. I love sitcoms. 
And so, it's because you like the comedy element of it? Yes, yes. And also, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> okay, we're going to pause for a second. Okay. I'm making her say what she was going to say because it's awesome. <laughs> I adored Betty White from Golden Girls, and I always want to be the Asian Betty White. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, I hope here, that made the dream come true, too. <laughs> yes, and that just got a lot of thumbs up here in our transpo van. <laughs> so does this feel like the realization of that dream to you? Yes, yes, it's going to come true. I think it has come yeah. true. <laughs> it's going to be, I'm going to be the Asian Betty White. I hope that's come true. And what's that's your, going to come true. <laughs> and what is your favorite part of this show, of this job? Oh, it's my character. I'm such a goofy character. Yeah. I'm kind, I'm wise, and I'm uh, crafty. Mm-hmm, very. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah. That's why I love it. Hey, guys. I am sitting here with Eric Zabrowski, a writer-producer on Fresh Off the Boat. Hello. Hi, Eric. Thank <laughs> you for coming in. So, Eric is a writer-producer with us. Prior to the, he's been with us from the beginning, and prior to this, he was a staff writer on Enlisted, and before that, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, right? Correct, which uh, Nanachka Khan, our current showrunner, also created. So yes. This is, uh, this is a second tour with her, which is just the best. Yeah, so you guys have worked together a yes. lot. So Eric uh, generously has given me a few minutes of his time here, and I sort of put it to him in very general terms to share with us maybe something he feels like actors do that kind of get in the way of their words and then something we do that might add um, strength to their words. So he had a couple of examples. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing, just like speaking from like a writer in a writer's room where, you know, day in and day out we're making these stories, we're trying to figure out, especially early on on a show, who this character is. I think Mm -hmm. the best thing to do for us is like when there's a there's a palpable enthusiasm sometimes that actors will show for their character and like really trying to make things work with a certain degree of trust that, you know, Everybody wants it to succeed. Everybody yeah. wants, especially in a comedy, everybody wants their characters to come across as funny as possible. And, um, you know, showing that, it seems so simple, but that enthusiasm really bleeds into the writer's room to want to create more of that material. And you'll see it all the time on shows where somebody who's sometimes a tertiary character starts getting more and more stuff. And a lot of it starts, like, with that enthusiasm at table reads or just on yeah. set. And um, it's contagious, you know, and it, it, it's a way that, is a writer where we might write something and say, okay, well, that's just the line. You hear it one way, and then the writer will come in and, and spin it in a way we never thought of where it's, it's ten times better. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, my gosh, like we have to give this actor more stuff mm. for what they're doing. You know? And you guys are really vulnerable at table reads, too. I think, <laughs> yeah, I sometimes. Think, yeah, I think actors, we don't, especially if we guest star a lot, we might not know that because we're so vulnerable at table mm-hmm. reads. But... Getting to be a series regular, I get to see a different side of it now that I know you guys so mm-hmm. well. And when it's really, when it's your episode and you're in that room and you, you are, it's really about you. It's your day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, there, there's plenty of uh, neurosis to go around on a, yeah. on a TV show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when we have stuff and, you, and you've worked hard on it, obviously, and you have a way that you're hearing it in your head and there is a certain degree of anxiety of like, is this going to work? Because as much as I, I can't speak for an actor, I'm not an actor, but the last thing a writer wants to do is, is see their actor be disappointed in the material they sure. bring. Yeah. You know, or like you want to see that excitement and you can't fake it. Yeah. But like, yeah, we feel that pressure and we, we really want it to work, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and it is a collaborative thing, you know, to have, you know, that feedback. I think, um, you know, I would say one thing for a writer is like by the time it does get to shooting, like 
we always like to see a version of it how it was scripted. You know, I mean, and yeah. and then really opening it up sometimes to be like, what else can we try if something's not working? Because again, especially in front of the camera, the last thing anyone wants is for something not to work. Like sure. nobody wins, you know, if it yeah. doesn't work out. You know. And we're a show in particular that we really do the script. Yes. I mean, occasionally we might add tiny little things, but mm-hmm. for the most part, we're really we're doing the script. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the more we're able to do the script, it's crazy because then the more excited you are to try other things because you know you have yeah. what you're supposed to have that when everybody has somebody to report to and when yeah. I go back into the room, it's like, where's this? Like, we have it. And then we can try other stuff. Exactly. And this is such a fascinating thing, too. We didn't talk about this before, but something I've learned through this is that when we are shooting the episode, like this week, this is your episode that mm-hmm. we're shooting. And so Eric is here on set with us all week and really... After we leave as actors, even after our director leaves, Eric is the one that's delivering an episode to our showrunner. Yes. You really are her eyes and ears here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sometimes you'll get a text and be like, where is this? Where didn't we get this? And you're like, oh, yeah, get out. And you are, like, you are on it. And I know sometimes as a writer we could come across maybe as a little, you know, some more than others probably, but not protective of what we're writing, but sometimes a little, like, have a little anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, it's coming from a good place, believe me. It's, yeah. not, it's not like protect our precious words. Like, it's not that. It's, well, the words already have the job. The yeah. words are already approved by the network yeah. before we get them. And, like, we want it to work, and we want the actors to be excited about it and to and to want to come to work and shoot these yeah. scenes because, you know, our name is on it, too, and, and we're yeah. not exposed the way the actor is in front of the camera. You know, mm-hmm. we're looking at it in terms of, like, especially in our show, like, does this joke land? You yeah. Know? Like, and we... It's, it's exciting um, when an actor will come in um, and, and, and really it, you start to feel it when the actors will start to become this character and the character, character will evolve. Like mm-hmm. jokes that you never thought you would give that character become who that person is and the actor's bringing it to them. Mm. You know, we have it on our show, you know, with you and Marvin, you know, the character that Ray Weiss played. And like that dynamic was never really figured out in the early days of the show and now it's just one of the most fun things to write because yeah. we have those voices down because of what you guys have brought to that and it's, it's, it's awesome I've, to do. I've loved watching the evolution of Marvin Ray yeah. character he has become this just man's man <laughs> and it gives and, and part of that is Ray part yes. of that is that Ray has this very masculine yeah. energy but yeah. he's quite playful Yes, and he's always game to try something and so all of that is in Marvin now. Yes and Marvin and Honey's dynamic is very playful and sweet and it, it's just very fun as a writer to write like we talk about a lot in, in the writers room like it's like the, you look forward to scenes like that where yeah. you're able to do these fast runs where everybody is very they know who their character is mm-hmm. and they're bringing something to it and we can start writing to that and yeah. it's coming through at table reads and you know I bet we have a guest star on this episode we're shooting right now um, Matt Oberg Oberg yeah Oberg is that how you pronounce yeah. it um feels like that kind of an actor to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Where he came into that table read and just slayed this character. Yeah. And now, I mean, and it just aired last night. Correct. It's in the episode, actually, that, that mm-hmm. we are talking about for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays Matthew Chestnut, and he premiered in that episode. And he's so hilarious. His timing is so specific and unique. Absolutely. And, like, you start to hear that voice. Like, when yeah. an actor will bring that into the table read and stuff, like, is when you're writing on the script and you're trying to punch it, like, you, you start yeah. hearing the cadence of that mm-hmm. actor in a way that... You may have thought it was going to sound one way, but then you start hearing what that actor is doing that's so funny. Yeah. And you want to just keep feeding that. You want to keep throwing more logs on that fire because that's that's when everything starts clipping along yeah. in a way that's really fun. Yeah. It's great. We, you def- we feel that on our side, too. We, we feel things getting 
so specific and fun. And then you'll throw us a curveball. You'll throw yeah. us something like I can't say what, but just shot something last week that yeah. is a totally different color for my character. <laughs> then I read it and I thought, oh, they don't even know that I can do this. Right. <laughs> I'm so excited. Totally. And to that point, like sometimes, especially early on, like because it is a process with the multiple drafts and like it's it's uh, it's not like oh you go off and write a script and then it just gets shot. Like it sure. goes through the the process of notes and and, and rewrites and and sometimes we just. We'll just want to try something for that. Like, oh, maybe this will be a funny take. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's not going to work. And it's just that trust of like, well, then we probably aren't going to want to shoot that like, yeah. and, and, and do that. And, um, and maybe that's a good like, thing like, to say. Like, and sometimes there will be something like on the, the day of shooting where maybe it won't be as comfortable for the actor. Mm -hmm. Or like, the actor might say, like, well, I don't know why you know, my character would want to do this. And those moments are bound to happen, I think. And I think there's a couple different ways that people can go about it. And, and for me, and I'll only speak for myself, it's like, I always want the actor, you know, before we start shooting, or if we've shot it and it doesn't feel right, to just pull me aside and like, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, and like, and then we want to figure it out. Like, and it, it becomes this collaborative thing that becomes even better because we've talked it through and you know, especially if we've got it scripted once, so we have it. Mm -hmm. Be like, well, here's why I'm thinking, and you know, and you and I have done this on the show, and it's that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, you know? we did. We had a Halloween episode last year or the year before. Two years, Two years ago. ago yeah. Um, where I, as Honey, was supposed to ditch Jessica, and in reading the scene, I thought I, it really needed to happen for the plot. I needed to ditch her for mm -hmm. for the family resolution story at right. the end. But the way it was happening, I ditched her so quickly that I thought, oh, I, I'm. I think I came and said, "Can I? Can I add a like a a beat of decisions mm -hmm. because I really don't want to leave her," and, and came and talked to Eric directly and and that and it was great because we had this conversation yes. where you then told me that actually was written in and it yes. was cut for time. Mm -hmm. So you had that same instinct, and then it got cut for time, and then me coming into it with fresh eyes it was like, "Oh, can I do a really quick version? Let's yes. try this thing." And we tried something, mm -hmm. and it worked. And it was, and it worked so much better. And it, it was the first thing that was then put into the director's cut. And what's also funny about that story is, it's also one in the morning. It's yeah, it was you know, so late. You're in a Miss Piggy, you're in a Miss Piggy <laughs> yeah. costume. You know, uh, Constance Wu, who plays Jessica Wong, is like you know holding a tennis racket, like ready yeah. to fight people off. And there's all this commotion happening in a Halloween special. Mm -hmm. And but as fun as all those costumes and stuff is, like the core, the emotional moment of the scene needed to be right, or yeah. it wouldn't. It wouldn't all the other stuff would fall flat then and, and you pulling me aside to talk it through like we were able to make that work because uh, in, in, in my brain it was just like okay we gotta go we gotta go and sometimes as the writer we've heard the script so many times that in our head it's clear because mm -hmm. we've just been with it for yeah. weeks before it's been brought to set. oh yeah and that's I'm not one to do that to be right. honest with you because totally. for me I just feel like make it work just make it work hmm. That the only reason, and if I have a quick, easy solve, I'll at least pitch that, which is what I just yeah. proposed and said. Can I? Because I actually thought it would be funny, which I think it did end up funny. I thought if 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 we get to see the pull between, oh, stay with Jessica, leave with Marvin. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with Marvin. Right. <laughs> and totally. It did end up being a really silly. It was a comedic opportunity mm. for a lot of emotional turnarounds yeah. within one little piece of dialogue. Yeah. So that was why I mentioned it because I thought, well, there might be a really quick, funny way of bridging this gap. Yeah. Um, but I'm not one to have that conversation. Right, and I would honest. say, like, like anything else, like there are moments for everything. Yeah. I mean, if it's the every line of every scene, that that that'll fatigue everyone sure. out pretty. <laughs> like, just would fatigue out pretty pretty quick. Just like is it a writer if I'm on at shouting alts? Like, yeah. nobody wants that. But like every once in a while, if there's a moment, like to just take a step to the side. 
and have that talk, like, mm-hmm. that's really helpful on set because we do all want it to, to be right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's this collaborative thing where we want the words to work for you guys as actors, so you guys will want to keep getting words from us as writers, you know? Yeah. And it's, it works that way. It's ultimately very, very collaborative, and that is... To speak to our, the specific audience for this podcast, that is one of the differences between being a guest star and being a series regular. When you're a series regular, we, we, we just get more time with our writers mm-hmm. and with our directors, and so we get a comfort level where yeah. maybe we can. I don't know that I would... I, actually, I'm pretty sure I would not have said anything right. if I was of a guest course. star. I don't yes. think I would have done that. Yeah, that's a good thing to point out. <laughs> and if it's I a bold stroke. Yeah. If, a... if I didn't... If I were on another... If I went guest star at another show, unless I knew the director really well or the writer really well, I probably still would not do that. Um, now, that's a personal decision for yeah. any actor, but, um, you yeah, know... we were into season three or whatever. But yeah. did that. Yeah. And it, it just, you know, by this time... We have a nice season two, yeah. yeah. But it's a good... We have that environment. But I think the overall point being just, like, be collaborative yeah. and, and be respectful because, shockingly... Sometimes people are. Oh my God! Yeah, you say things and you think, "Oh, that would never happen," and then, sure enough, the next day, that exact thing will happen somewhere. Yes. But I think TV, especially because it is, it's the day in and day out of it, where we do become a closer knit yeah. family type group, where we get a comfort level. And every writer, every actor is going to be different in how they want to have conversations like that. I guess the broader point being, it's like we always, you know. Um, Nobody wants it to not make sense. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, going in enthusiastic and, and, you know, trying stuff out because that's what you do multiple takes for. Yeah. And if, like, words are not working, like, we'll be there trying to write new ones. Yeah, and trusting the process and knowing, like, that's why I I will always give what's on the page. Always. Yes. Because if it's not working, you're not going to put it in the edit anyway. I never feel vulnerable. Yeah, Yeah. I never feel like you guys aren't going to have my back. So I might as well give it 150% and do my absolute best to make sure it does work. Yeah. Especially in the table reads. Like today, one of our new writers just had her very first network table read. Yes. And that's that's something to be celebrated. That's a time where we should all be firing on all... We should always be in every table read firing on all cylinders. I'm so glad you said that because I I can say for me, my first table read, like as a writer, like that is our in front of the camera. Yeah. That's like you see it on its feet. These actors come in and and all this stuff you've been working on and all of a sudden they bring it to life for you. Mm -hmm. And every writer remembers their first table read. And it never stops... Uh, feeling, for lack of a better word, special when you have a table read because yeah. not everybody gets to do those things, yeah. and, and every time you're able to sit up and, and hear it on its feet, like it is exciting and it, it matters, mm-hmm. you know, to the writer, and that's like the first time we're able to really hear it start to finish. Yeah, you know, because on set we're starting, we're stopping, we're setting up, but a table read is the episode. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a big moment, you know, and it's it's a lot of fun. I, I've I've never not looked forward to a table read. They're always great. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. And, and you try never to get stuck in that rut where it feels like, oh, it's just what we do on Wednesday afternoons. <laughs> right, exactly. You <laughs> always want to remind yourself. Special. And we yeah. all have to remind ourselves. But, uh, yes. Well, thank you so much, oh God, Eric. This you. is so awesome. So as you'll hear in this next segment, we've reached the central nervous system, the hub of Fresh Off the Boat, or really any TV show, which is the production offices. And in this uh, segment, you're going to hear a ton of really interesting, valuable information about what it's like to put together a TV show 
and a couple of tips here and there on how to be, you know, a good uh, supportive, collaborative actor in that environment. Uh, most of uh, what you're going to hear is from Missy Monsoor, who is the production supervisor, and then she tosses it to a couple of her uh, co-workers in uh, John and Karen, a couple of other production coordinators slash supervisors. This one is jam-packed and um, probably one of my favorite uh, segments from this episode. Hi, I'm Missy Mansour. I'm one of the production supervisors on the show. What does a production supervisor do? What does that mean? Ooh, that's a hard one. Don't ask me that in the middle of the office. Yeah, um, oh, no, okay. no, it's kind of... Let's um, hide it's, I help with the producers and the UPM a lot, and uh, we kind of deal with the cast and help make the schedule and find locations, and um, we're kind of the main central nervous system of the show and communicate information, make sure everyone knows where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, what they need to bring, you know, help get equipment and all that stuff. It's like a project manager in a way. Yeah, kind of. And then we help, you know, stay on top of everyone's budgets and make sure everything, everyone gets everything turned in so that we know kind of where we're at in the episode and if we're going out of control, which we don't much on the show. <laughs> Just every first episode. All right. And where are we standing right now? Uh, so right now we're in the production office, which is, like I said, the central nervous system. Over here is my team, my um, assistant coordinator, my two PAs. They're out right now cleaning up after the table read. That's kind of a big day for us because we um, get everything set up. We get everybody over there, you know, feed everybody, get all the scripts, and then break it down. And, um, and that's during a shoot day, Chelsea's telling us, too, like it happens yeah. during lunch, right? Yeah, we have to do it at lunch because um, we have, you know, we can't shut the crew down while we're shooting. Or we can't yeah. shut the crew down while we're table reading. So we do it during lunch so that the cast breaks for a little bit. And then they come and they read and the crew is at lunch. We've we've done it in the past occasionally if, if we are forced to to do it outside of lunch, but it's always it's a challenge for the day to get everything that we need. Chelsea was saying um, that you guys will touch on like four different episodes each week. Like you'll be in product pre-production for one, post-production for another. Yeah, we're constantly you know prepping something while we're shooting something while something is in post, and you know thinking ahead to the next few episodes if we're lucky enough to have the scripts, which we are on the show. Um, we're really lucky on the show that we get scripts pretty early. We're never waiting. We're never sitting there wondering what we're going to be doing, like what happens on some shows. Um, so, you know, we're four or five episodes ahead right now, and we know what's coming. We know kind of what locations we need to scout, what we need to find, what we need to expect as far as if they write, you know, another celebrity into the script that we need to reach out to and see if we can get them to come join us. Uh, or if we're, we know we're going to have a huge, you know, episode that involves something like some sort of sport or dancing or music or something like that. So it's helpful for us to know as much in advance as we can because it takes a long time. We generally are in actual prep on each episode for five days. We get the director to prep for four, but the producers and I and, you know, the production manager and the ADs will kind of be thinking about it way ahead of that when we can, when we have the scripts. Wow. So you said that you're lucky on this show to have that kind of lead time and, and things like that. Uh, is this a rare situation or is this just happened to be one of the shows that 
our, it seems to happen more together than, than is typical. Our our writers have it very much together, and you know they know kind of where they want to go. Notch, our showrunner, knows you know the broad strokes of what she's trying to do with the season, and we do have a lot of new writers this year, but they seem to kind of slide right in, and and the transition was you know really good. Um, we have a lot of young writers on this show, so they're they're excited to kind of explore new things, send us to new places, new storylines. Uh, which is exciting because, you know, for a family comedy, they can sometimes be a little flat. But I think ours is pretty dynamic in a lot of the things that we do and the places we go. Like last year we went to Taiwan, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. It wasn't cool. It was actually very hot. <laughs> but um, it's fun. And I think a huge a huge thing that is important to us is keeping the authenticity in the show and making sure it's true to, you know, what... Taiwanese people actually do what they actually eat, what they actually, you know, lessons that they actually learn when they move to America. Mm. Wow. And now the process for each episode, like we were just in a table read, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of fun. Um, was that the first, the seventh, the twelfth draft, and then what happens from here? Because they had a note session afterwards. Mm-hmm. So what, what does that process look like from like what the writers present through shooting? Um, on our show... That draft is kind of like basically the second full draft. So, like I said, we're we're really good at getting things in on time. And because of that, we're able to send things to the studio and the network kind of at the same time. And they know the tone of our show. They know kind of our audience and what they're expecting. So it's easy for them after their first draft that they see to say, you know to give their notes and say, you know, oh, we don't know if this will work, or what if we change this, or what if, you know, what if we skewed this way? So by the time we get to the table read, you know, we've seen at least a draft of it. Usually the table read is probably the second for a select group of people prepping. Um, But we don't burn through five, six, seven drafts. We actually don't really ever even do pages on the show. We pretty much stay on white scripts almost the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Which is which is kind of which is interesting, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Especially on comedies because um, you know I think writers are always trying to top their jokes and they're always trying to improve on things and there's always a lot of times the studio or the network do have a note that they want something changed and I think Notch is very Notch and our writers you know are very good at standing their ground on things that they think are important to keep in to the story mm. and when they do that it stays and you know. The, the notes that were happening after you guys, you know, left the room, I'm sure they probably weren't in there more than 10 minutes because, like I said, in season four, they're all pretty dialed in. Um, there's not a lot of, like, structural issues that they ever have to address, and there's not a lot of, like, crazy off-the-wall things that we try to do that they're like, oh, no, you can't show that on ABC because, you know, we know what we're mm-hmm. able to do and, and what's appropriate for our show and, you know, what our viewers want to see. Would there have been somebody from the network in the in the room just now? Yes, she was the blonde woman sitting in the front, uh, kind of next to Justin, our producer. She was right in front of me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Jody. We don't. I can just say from our standpoint, so we don't see a script, or I don't see a script until the draft you guys just saw, the, the table draft, which mm. we'll get one to two days ahead of the table read. Yeah. Um, very very rarely, like the night before, but yeah, deadlines 
don't get missed a lot on our show. So oh. yeah, pretty That's early, awesome. and and then the changes are usually very minimal from our perspective. Now they'll go through this note session. Yeah, sometimes literally nothing changes. I'll take the table draft with me, and then when I get the shooting script, uh, when I get the shooting script, I will kind of compare the two to see if I need to print off a new script and very often I don't I just need to make really small line changes because so little changes between the two drafts and a lot of times honestly the things that they're changing are like a slug line like Mm -hmm. something has gone day to night or something has gone outside or or whatever it is and and I feel like in most drafts when you see changes it's almost always dialogue but in ours it's you know, sometimes dialogue if they think that a joke is particularly funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it's just little um, changes that we need f- for shooting. So they're usually pretty um, They're pretty set, mm-hmm. even by the table redraft. Mm-hmm. I feel like if we ever do this again, we have to find, like, a, a, show, where show. a show where there's, like, a lot of drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems, they probably won't let you was, do this. this seems too, it seems <laughs> yeah. too easy. It I was going to be my next question because I was going to say, you know, we met a bunch of people now I've been on the set for or a lot for a few hours and mm-hmm. this show specifically feels really chill and you just said like we don't miss a lot of deadlines I was gonna ask like relatively speaking is this a stressful gig? Um <laughs> for some of us listen <laughs> I, I you know from the corner of yeah, the, yeah. Right, right. be quiet go back to work <laughs> you're ruining it keep typing yeah. you're ruining the, the ruse it is recording right now um <laughs> I mean, I think that anything you do when you're trying to bring words onto the screen is difficult in some capacity. There's no, there's really no easy show. And while we have the tools that we need with the script and we know what kind of they're expecting, there's a lot of fleshing out that needs to be done to get it, to get the words from the page to the screen. And there's a lot of planning and there's a lot of people involved and, um, you know, different departments are obviously responsible for, you know, the prop guy has to make a, you know, faulty pencil or something, or, uh, wardrobe has to plan for a lot of outfits that match and they have to, but they're waiting on the people that to be cast to you, you know, so as much as it helps us to have the scripts ahead of time, there's still a lot of things that have to fall into place to get it done correctly. And there's also the fact that, you know, we are not fully contained on the stage. We go out often, at least two days a week usually. Um, and those days are always kind of come with their own, not trouble, but just, I guess, logistical things that you have to work out. Um, we control less when we leave the stage. Yeah. Yeah. So it is chill when we're on the stage, um, or it appears that way. Because we're kind of settled, we're home, we're at home base. Right now, you know, we've got 50 kids and a middle school that we have to contain, plus all of their parents, and we have to school them, and we have to, you know, find a way to get them quiet and working on a set and light them in a way, you know, that we can see who we need to see and hear what we need to hear in a tight, cramped space, you know. So... Behind the scenes, it is it it is a kind of a chaotic show, but it's because it's not um, it's not flat. Like I said, it is dimensional, and we do uh, a lot of flashbacks, and we do a lot of little gags here or there that may just be this much on a page, just like an eighth of a page pop. But it's still like you have to build the set, you have to pick the colors, you have to pick the wardrobe, you have to cast it, you have to you know get everybody what they need. 
um, get any special equipment if it's like a certain shot that's you know outside of what we normally have with us. Um, so it, it is flashes in that in that yeah. table read. You saw one that goes back to Marvin, the baby carrots, yep. mm-hmm. which we'll be able to at least shoot that on during the dinner. Right. Season. And there's one with Allison that's a completely separate location where she reacts to him drinking the soda. Mm-hmm. They will build it, light it, wardrobe her as if we're shooting a three page scene. Mm-hmm. So it will add more time when we pop away like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and you know just kids in general. Anytime you have kids working it adds a couple steps to your day because they can only work a certain amount of hours and if they're in school, which most of them are by now, you have to make sure they break away for school and, you know, a lot of the times we try to, you know, you try to schedule your work. A lot of the things that happen in the same sets, you try to schedule as much as you can on the same day in those same places so you're not moving all around the stage but then you run into, like, do we have enough time on these children that we can keep them and actually get this work done and... Mm -hmm. You know, there's always, like I said, if you have special guest stars, there's always working around when they're available because they're important to the script to get them. And so we have to kind of adjust things to work around when they can be here and where they can be shooting. And if they're shooting on location and that, like, location isn't available the same day that person is available, then, you know, it's it's yeah, a... Yeah. So there's a lot of logistical things that we have to do that um, you hopefully don't see on the screen if we're doing our jobs well. Mm-hmm. With working with the kids, I know the studio teachers track the time, the school, the rest. Are you in constant communication with the studio teachers of how much time they've got in the day, or are you tracking it on your own? Like, how does that... Because that just seems like a a logistical craziness. It it is, you know, we have to protect the kids, and we have to make sure that they're getting what they get, or what they need to get for, you know, minor, like, labor laws. But also just we have to remember that we're shooting with people that are 12, 13, 15 years old. And, you know, they, they're they still growing up. They still need to learn this stuff. They still need to have a childhood and have, you know, it's hard to have that, you know, balance of being a, you know, as Justin would say, a road scholar and a TV star at the same time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I personally am not in constant communication with the teachers. We do have relationship this is john diner by the way he's another production supervisor on the show but karen's department the ad's um they are they are in constant communication with the teachers because they kind of tell them you know they have to be schooled three hours a day but they do it usually in 20 minute blocks so they have to communicate when they can send them away and if they have a few minutes they can go get schooling but if they can't you know if they only have five minutes and it's like no that's like a go to the bathroom get some water it's not you can't go to school you can't come up and actually get anything done and focus in time to actually make it count mm. uh, I, don't, I don't know how much time we have so I want to make sure that we're respecting everybody's workspace but um, oh did you guys check in you checked in with whenever they need yeah, you yeah sounds like <laughs> she's got plenty of time sounds like I'm working the night shift <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing I mean yeah. you know like I'll double check with Angela but I think like five-ish Karen is the other backbone of the show and that she handles what's going on like in the actual day and, and you know, make sure that the actors are where they need to be and the crews where they need to be and that we have everything we need. She wears a lot of hats, mm. like a spinning hat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, like I said, we're, we are in a set we've never shot before, which is our brand-new high school. We've had that area of the stage before, but it's all new 
like different paint, different, it looks different, um, different kids that are, you know, bigger. It's our first time shooting back into the school. So it was a little slow for us getting in today. And it's kind of like when one domino falls, everything kind of, it's hard for things to catch back up. So it's hard to make up the time once you slide a little bit behind. Yeah. Depends on what you're doing. But I'm sorry. What were you gonna ask? I, I just I'm sorry to go backwards, but I, I was just curious about the um, the table we we were just at. There, you know, you mentioned that there were a lot of like producers and writers that were reading um, roles mm -hmm. during the table read, and I was just curious if the that was because uh, the role uh, hasn't yet to be cast, or it's cast and that person uh, just wasn't able to make it to the read, or uh, the smaller roles aren't invited to a read, or like uh, you know. Who, who, like, is it just this, do you just have the series regulars because they're just breaking There's, for lunch from yeah. the set and it's just easier? Usually we invite the guest cast when um, they have kind of like a bigger role mm. in the episode. Yes, sometimes they're not cast yet. And sometimes they're just, their role isn't, they don't have enough lines, their role is not significant enough that they need to come sit there at the table just for like one line right. and it's helpful because there's only actually in there's two different rooms we do the read in there's actually only so many seats at the table so when the writers read multiple roles it actually helps in cutting down another seat that we would have to have there yeah. um and you know there's also the fact that technically regardless of the fact that these are recurring people that know they're going to be on our show that we know we're going to get for the episode technically we really shouldn't be having them come to work or inviting them unless their mm -hmm. deal is closed and, and some, because of the fact aren't, aren't cast by them if, right know, some, some of them are kind of down to the wire so mm -hmm. and because of the fact that we do know that we'll get them and we do know that they're recurring we do sometimes just wait to the last minute because it's like oh yeah well mm -hmm. he's that kid's a lot lowest priority because instead we first have to work on this big guy that we're trying to get and make sure we lock him in mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just geography too like Ray Wise does not live near the set, so if it's, I mean, Ray actually loves coming table reads, so he's always happy to, but if it, if he doesn't really have to be there, it's just sort of courtesy to let him know, hey, it's okay if you don't come to this one, whereas I live really close. <laughs> so even tonight with my call time, one of the things Karen is amazing at is on a night like tonight where we thought I would start at a certain time and it's going to get pushed back, I'm within walking distance, so she will just hmm. touch base with me during the day and say, take a nap. Watch a movie. <laughs> like, catch a show. Go work out. Whatever. Watch Titanic. It's yeah, that watch. long. <laughs> <laughs> Go get another job. <laughs> so that you know, it's it's more. Um, we think of it as being like a treat. Like, oh, am I getting invited to the table read? But then it sort of just becomes a practical thing of not inconveniencing someone and asking them to come in for mm -hmm. maybe they yeah. don't live anywhere near here. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we never, you know, we never want to make somebody come in on a day off to sit at the table if they have, like, three or four lines. Because right. then it's just like, yeah. ah, feel bad. And, and, you know, we don't want them to feel obligated either, like you said. Hmm. We, um, there's so many different departments that make a show happen. <clears throat> Obviously, we're focused as actors on the acting part, on ourselves. What's something that you wish actors knew about what you guys do um, that would make everything... All, all Easier, it, better, faster, stronger. <laughs> yeah, like. Um, I mean, that's a good question for Karen. I bet oh. she'd have a lot to say about that. I'm waiting for that question. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right, here we go. I don't even know where to start. Spotlight, Spotlight Karen. <laughs> Karen, say your name and your position. Ah, I'm Karen Sattel, the second AD on the show, and I, uh, I think um, you know, 
this show is actually, I, I really do honestly believe that this show is great, but I, I think that on a lot of shows, there is sometimes a lack of perspective from the cast of what the other people who work on the show go through. Um, I hear that complaint a lot from crew, like, they don't take the time to learn my name. You know, I've worked with somebody for all season long, and they still call me that grip or that electrician, as opposed to actually learning my name or saying hello to me we're in the, when we're in the lunch line. Um, I've heard that a lot. Um, I've also heard, you know, people who complain about coming in at 10 in the morning and having to wait for an hour to shoot or to go into makeup or, you know, things happen. We fall behind, a camera breaks, and then, you know, want to get out of there as soon as possible, want to leave at 4 or 5. But meanwhile, you've had people on the clock since 5 a.m. who are going to be there for 14, 15, 16 hours. So to hear those, those small complaints sometimes is very trying. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, everybody on this show actually is, is really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 well, I say that, subtle hints there. Yeah. <laughs> I would say those are, those are the biggest ones, just general consideration and perspective, mm-hmm. which is what you would ask from anyone in any workplace. But in Hollywood especially, it, it does easily get forgotten because, you know, at, Everybody in this town has a, has a yeah. very centralized attitude when it comes to me. I mean, we see it on the roads and in line at Starbucks and all that. So we, we don't have a lot of that in general in this city, mm-hmm. but especially on, on film sets and TV sets, it, it gets amplified. So what you're saying is be a good person. Be a good person. That's a big yes. ass. <laughs> be, be, be considerate ass. of your fellow co-workers and what they may or may not be going through. And well, always, yeah. always know, <clears throat> I think this is so important for actors, and I don't know if any of you guys have directed, but when you direct, you learn this very quickly. We see about one one-hundredth of what's happening. So s- sometimes we it might be like, oh, why am I called three hours early? There's always a reason. It wasn't random. I'm on the clock. There's a reason for it. It's because I'm volleying hair and makeup with another right. actor, and then another actor is coming in. And So, yeah, I'm going to sit and wait before I shoot my scene. That's the, that's the job. Like, it's not the job is not walk in the smallest amount of time before you shoot yourself and get out. Like... We are certainly paid well enough, and there really shouldn't be those kinds of issues. Um, but sometimes the pay discrepancy, I think, makes people think there's a hierarchy of importance. And it's important not to ever think that way because it's complete bullshit. I'm not talking about our show. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, exactly that was just it's helpful for people, one, to be on time, and that's every department. Yeah, yeah. professionalism and, in general. Is yeah. And to just like Chelsea said, you know, um, and kind of like Karen said, is understanding that if you are being asked to wait, it's for a reason. It's not because we wanted you to just sit here and like waste your time, but something happened and we got delayed in some way. And, you know, Karen does an incredible job making sure that she brings people in exactly pretty much when they're needed to without you pay a lot of attention to not making people sit around here. But sometimes it happens if, if we're behind or and you're not able to push them because they're already here. Um, and realizing that there's, like you said, a thousand other things happening at the same time. Uh, and, I mean, I get it. Like, if I were sitting in a trailer wondering why I couldn't be, you know, at home with my dog or <laughs> my friends or something, yeah. th- that's, that's waiting is frustrating. But there's something huge that's probably happening 
around no you. No one's doing that intentionally. Right. Well, it's costing everybody money if you're sitting there. Yeah. No one's happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you have a good relationship. I think you have a good relationship with people. Like I'll definitely ask Karen. I'll be like, oh my call times are really what like what so I know sure. what it is. But that's not me saying like, can you make my call time later? <laughs> like yeah. that's it's just I just think it's really inappropriate. But it does it does happen. I mean it's like the number one thing I feel like everybody complains about on set are the hours. Um it's just part of the job for all of us, but we are never the first ones here, and we are never the last ones to leave. So mm-hmm. it sucks that it's the actors that complain the most about the yeah. hours. Yeah. Don't <laughs> complain, <laughs> listeners. Well, y- you've spoken up uh, enough. We should probably have you say your name and what you, what you do. Uh, yeah. uh, John Diner, the other production supervisor for the show. Have you been with it all four seasons? Uh, no, Missy and I came in together on the second season. We'd worked together, God, for five years, right? Five years? Probably yeah. 50. At least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, neither of you look 50 years so I don't buy that Feels for a like second. A They're actually time. both 12. That's how hard this job is. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. It's like Benjamin Button. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for inviting us into your... Uh, Enclave here, your world. Um, exactly. We're the three most important people on the show, so we need to be together. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Yes. This is the command, command center. center. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. I wish you had like those Minority Report like screens on the wall. <laughs> well, we usually have a corkboard of strings. It's like kill us, but we flipped it around. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. All right. All right, guys, and for the final segment, we met with Chelsea at her home. Uh, actually, not far from the uh, lot where she shoots fresh off the boat. It's actually, you could, pre- you, I think you, I think she does walk. <laughs> she, she does she walk. walks. She yeah. walks to and from work and, and will sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I think they mentioned it in the production office segment, you know, uh, she could sometimes go and take a nap if they're running behind and they're not going to use her for later than, than she uh anticipated so uh what a sweet setup right and she does talk about how she feels very lucky in this segment but yeah it's really close by yeah it's pretty awesome so we talk about all sorts of stuff here this is more uh, akin to like a, a, a standard sort of inside acting interview format you'll hear jen levin our production coordinator she was with us for this interview and she asked a couple great questions uh so we talk about publicity we talk about mindset we talk about how she deals with her schedule her various gratitude practices and self-care practices this is just another gold mine of stuff from uh the <laughs> rock star generous soul that is Chelsea Crisp enjoy this guys been a um, not as easy as everything else for me I think I'm do you always... have your own publicist now mm-hmm. yeah it's a, it's a different world it's a whole right. yeah, yeah, yeah. do you I mean but does that mean that you're handing off stuff to this person or absolutely yeah like everything, so, so yeah when when so you don't really have to, be, you don't have to show, worry about being super good at it right, right no but I mean but it's just different it's and I'm I mean like 
it's it's just so different. We're so used to everything we do is geared towards talking about the project that we're in. And then it comes to this point where publicity becomes a part of the career planning. It becomes a part of the package. Yeah. So they are, you know, they work on placement for things to position you in, in your like EPK sort of like your headshots, your demo, that all goes away. It all becomes about your EPK. Um, and so you, you stop the actor stuff that the stuff that we do on our own to like get agents that all stops and it all becomes about the publicity side of things. So, which is, was an adjustment for me because it's a lot of stuff that I don't care about. I don't care about fashion. I don't care about makeup. I don't care about clothes. So I found my way in and my way in is through vegan clothing and vegan products. And that was a way where I was like, oh, I care about that. And that's what I can talk about. But that took me like months to figure out, oh yeah, I can just do this my way. Mm -hmm. I'm not, it doesn't, I'm never going to learn about fashion. I don't. It's an angle, it's just a personal one. Yeah, it's just not a value for me. <laughs> so for listeners listening, EPK stands for Electronic Press Kid. But mm -hmm. what does that actually entail? Like, what, what specifically was, goes into that for your publicist? Um, so your talk show appearances, your magazine articles, your interviews, podcasts. Um, I don't even have it, to be honest. I mean, I can get it for my publicist, mm. but they, they keep all of it. And then my agents and managers will use whatever feels relevant in a pitch. Gosh, that's so funny. It's a completely different game because it's not about your resume or your headshot anymore mm -hmm. getting you in the door. It's like how like how much star power does she have? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think, and that is where for me, improv, it just, improv's just something that I love so much and, and, and can't imagine what my career life would be like without it. But that is a realm where it is particularly important because you get put in these red carpet situations where red carpets are already so intense and there are a million people around you and you're like shoulder to shoulder doing your interview and you get asked a question and you need to give a 30 second answer well a 10 second answer um, and kind of move on to the next thing and sometimes you're asked the exact same question over and over again sometimes they ask you a bogus question because they have no idea who you are <laughs> my yeah. first the television critics association the, my first one for ABC when, when I signed on full time fresh off the boat I went to my first TCA. It was my first red carpet where I did interviews. And that was the year that The Muppet Show was coming out. And I got to... I, I can't remember which news outlet it was. But the guy was like, I'm asking everyone this tonight. If you could be a Muppet, which Muppet would you be? And I was right behind Tyra Banks. I was like, no way you just asked Tyra Banks that question. Uh, my name's Chelsea Crisp. I work on Fresh Off the Boat. <laughs> if you want to ask me something about that. He was like... I also don't look the way I look on the show. So that first year, I think, was even if they happened to watch the show, it was a little bit like who then who's that like mm. short pale girl. <laughs> so <laughs> then then after a little bit of time, I think I felt a shift where the photographers and and the interviewers started to actually know who I was because I was showing up enough. I will say though, um, there's a realm with publicity where you can when you have a publicist, you you get invited to a lot of parties. You can just go to any of them that you're invited to. I don't do that if I'm not connected to a project or a movie like I don't just go to premieres of things that I'm not in but that is an option that actors can do if you want that red carpet experience if you want photos because for some people that side of it the IMDB score that stuff's really important mm -hmm. that's not as important to me so I'm I love my community and I love supporting works if it's a friend's project if it's something my husband is connected to then we'll go but I really don't enjoy the experience of showing up for a movie that I have nothing to do with. So that was one of the areas where I was like, mm -hmm. that's 
that's, you just you find what works for you and what doesn't. We used to receive pitches to the Los Angeles Theater Ensemble. Same thing, like people wanting to, to be at the opening nights, and then uh, the podcast. When we when we have big events like like the 200th episode or the 100th episode, we have like big things where at SAG after we do parties or whatever, mm-hmm. we get the same thing. And it, it's funny because of course you've never heard of that person because you know your publicist is not going to you know pitch you to to you know inside acting podcast party. Maybe maybe now. It might depend. <laughs> yeah, it might depend on the client though too. But I also my publicist wouldn't have because I would have been well. That is maybe something I would have gone to though because that's an act. That is something. Actor outreach, like, all day, any day. That I care about. But if it was literally just a publicity, like, oh, get seen on this carpet, I just don't... I have to be honest. I just don't care. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with someone caring about it. It can be very calculated and specific and a completely valid way of going out and meeting people and getting to know people. I just have always been more comfortable getting work and meeting people through work environments through auditions mm. and stuff. That's just yeah. always been a little bit. Now, that's been a longer road, I have to say. Um, but but for me, that was just the right road. Is there any pressure from representation or publicists or anybody to go do those things? Like, we know you don't think like this, Chelsea, but you really should be seen. No, not really. Thing. Not really. Yeah. Um, I was pretty clear, though, when I, when I did interview publicists, because it was... There's a time, I feel like there's a right time to hire a publicist when you actually need one. Um, and so I didn't really do it before that happened. So before if there was a reason to do it. Um, and so I did interview at a few places and I was pretty clear about this is what I think I'll be interested in and this is what I'm probably not going to want to do. And I had enough friends with publicists to know, friends who actually really love that stuff too, who like go out and really make the most of it and use it for the right reasons. And I, I just was like, I mean, that's that's not for me. So so they never pitched it to me because it was pretty clear up front that I didn't mm-hmm. really want to do it. Mm-hmm. When, so what was that process like, interviewing publicists? Um, I So ABC is the network that airs fresh off the boat. And so when it was time, I spoke to them and said, I'm, you know, I'd like to... I think it's time because I, I think... I can't remember if my manager said, hey, it's probably time to bring on a publicist. And so I went and I had... A, at least started a relationship with the ABC publicity team and the Fox publicity team and was just with the ABC people one day and said, um, do you guys mind help tell me your top three favorites? Um, and then they told me their top three favorites and I went and interviewed and my, I kind of had it narrowed down to two and my manager had a relationship with one. So we were like, okay, great. So that one and who I still work with now, she's awesome. And I had asked ABC at the time, hey, you're going to be working with this person in a different way than I will. And it's really, really important for me that my reps are nice people. And sometimes they're very nice to us and not to other people. So I did ask the ABC people, I said, if you ever have a bad experience with whoever I end up going with, would you let me know? Because um, mm-hmm. that really matters to me. So mm-hmm. so I had them as a, hey, this is the person I think I have narrowed down to. and them to say, oh, we really like this person and we like this company, and then even, like, check in every six months. Like, yes, we're still really liking this relationship. And so, yeah, it was... Hmm. I had had that help, which was great. I don't know now if ABC set up the meetings or if my manager set up the meetings, but I only did three because I don't enjoy casting a wide net and saying a bunch of no's. Mm-hmm. So I just was pretty specific. Hmm. 
you talked about um, just having a, a crazy schedule. Like yeah. sometimes you're on set until 4 a.m., sometimes you're on set at 4 a.m., mm-hmm. um, and then you have weeks off, and then sometimes you have back-to-back. So like, I, I'm, I'm thinking, of, I'm just sort of putting myself in those shoes, because I'm mm. somebody who's very sensitive to sleep, and I kind of wish yeah. I wasn't. I wish Me I was too. a resilient, like, hey, up and at them, whatever. But yeah. like, if I don't get enough sleep, life is awful, and I'm a different person. And you just said you're like that too. So how do you deal with that? Because I feel like that would be a major obstacle. Or it is. For me. I mean, as far as fresh off the boat goes, we don't have a lot of 4 a.m. You know, nights. We, sometimes 4 a.m. calls. Rarely more for me, probably than anyone else, uh, just because my call times are so much earlier than set call because of how much hair and makeup we do, which Jen <laughs> experienced. <laughs> mm. So how how extensive that process is. Um, so. Our schedule, because we're a family sitcom, does tend to be a little more like the 6 to 7 a.m. start time. And then depending on our director, our director and our director and writer combo, they are really the team that dictates how many of each take, how many takes of each shot we're going to do. So we move on when they're happy with it. And those are the two people that are protecting the vision of our showrunner. So depending on that combo, our days can be pretty short or they can be pretty long. just depends on what they're trying to get. Um, and then depending on how many pages we're shooting, how, um, how big, a, a scene it is. Like Jen came and watched a scene that was really four people, um, in a pretty small room, but we had playback. It was karaoke sequence. So we had a whole playback element that added time to it. So pretty contained environment, new sets that we'd never shot on before. So that always takes a little bit longer to light and navigate. Um, so th- it's all these variables that can make your day longer or shorter. And then... We have in a given week our table reads, we have fittings, and we have ADR for episodes that we've already shot. And then publicity appearances, which is not all the time. Some weeks we'll have several, and then some weeks not at all. So the schedule really changes. And then I try very hard to do indie film as much as I can around the edges of my schedule on hiatus or just on weeks off. trying we're in the middle right now of trying to make one work that I don't think it's going to work and those are crazy because you know with any film you're just shooting as much as you can on the smallest budget that you can the only way you can do that is to like get as much out of a day as possible and I often come out of those experiences exhausted worth it but completely exhausted I just try to build in breaks mm-hmm. as much as I can I'm a napper <laughs> if I get a chance to nap <laughs> which sometimes that means we have a half, it might on a given day just be a half an hour lunch break and it's like 10 minutes to eat, 20 minutes to like nap yeah. if I can. Um, if my trailer mates TV is off, which it usually is on, <laughs> very loud. <laughs> so it depends, it just depends on um, situation. My husband is currently shooting in Vancouver, so we are also flying back and forth right now. That adds to the schedule. Um, he's here for literally 48 hours, not even 48 hours, I don't think, probably 36 hours. Shooting in LA helps immensely because this is our home base. We are, you know, if we were both working in features or if I worked on a show that shot in Atlanta, this whole thing would be a, a different ball game. It was very, we talked about this, I think, it was very important for me to be on a show in LA because that gives us some, this is home. And for him as a writer, a lot of what he does is here unless he's actually in production and then it's almost never here just just features of that scale Mm -hmm. don't tend to shoot here that helps having a home base but vacations staycations Mm -hmm. (laughs) resting up when we can and then 
learning how to say no, I think starts to come into play big time. I feel like for me, and I would assume probably for you guys, we're so used to the hustle and the grind and like making the most of any opportunity that we can, trying to make things happen. And just this year, this hiatus for the first time, since I think I was 14 years old, I took time off for the first time ever on our hiatus, um, where I didn't produce anything. I didn't write anything. I, I, I actually did shoot an indie film, uh, for, for a friend, but I did say no first. <laughs> and then they were like, please, we wrote this for you. And, and they are good friends and I liked it. So I was like, okay, well, if you can condense my days as much as possible. And so I gave them like a week and a half. Um, but aside from that, I really took time off. I think it's the first time I've done that since I was 14, since I like mm. got into theater really heavily and it was hard. It was unnatural and difficult. And I, it was because we knew we had a fourth season. I knew I was coming back. I knew like we'd like to start a family. I'm like, what if this is the last time that just ever in my life where I can just have some like me time and like stop for a little bit. Um, didn't even do improv, which first time in six years where I wasn't doing a weekly improv show. It was really hard. It wasn't even like, I didn't even want to do it when I started it. (laughs) I just knew that I had to. Um, and it was great. Hmm. It was like awesome to actually take a little bit of time off. So, so. What, is, what, what is a, uh, I guess there's probably not a typical day off, but what, what are the things that you tried to do or not do when you were like, I'm in relaxation mode, I'm in re- recharge mode? Um, well, a lot of it's catch up because your life is not really that relaxing. <laughs> it's just when, when the hours get, like, think of the, um, you know, think of when you're in a show and the show's opening and, like, everything gets pushed to the back burner for a little while because you're so intensely in that headspace. And then, but you know, you're like, oh, well, this will end. I'll get to the point where the show's open or it's over and then I can get back to my laundry and go to my bank or do the stuff, go get groceries. So that, that period, that's like a nine-month period on a show. It's, it's like a school year, basically, <laughs> where you're like... Oh, in March, I'll go grocery shopping in March. So, you know, I, I did last year finally start to get some help. Um, just a friend helps out part time. Um, but, but a lot of it was catch up. A lot of it was, I'm actually going to go get groceries and do my laundry. And this is so silly, but when I'm on the phone with my parents, sit down, just sit down and just be on the phone with my parents, not Mm -hmm do the phone call while I'm folding laundry or, you know, like not multitask, but that's the only thing that I'm focused on. Mm -hmm. Um, my family was a big part of it wanting to like, I'm very, very close with my family, but to do this, I didn't, um, I didn't come from money. I didn't have a backstop. So it required a lot of sacrifice and risk to like dedicate myself to this endeavor and that means not being able to afford going home for the holidays that means missing birthdays sometimes for my sister or my friends or um so so now now that I'm in a place where it's like at least for now at least for this period that um that gamble has paid off really making sure now that I'm not so caught up in in this part of it that I'm still not going home for the birthdays like making sure now that it's like well this is the time that I know I can afford the plane ticket and mm-hmm. get home so my family was a really big focal point for me yeah. in the taking time off wow and you just mentioned that you have somebody helping you out 
So is this a personal assistant kind of deal? Yeah. Yeah. So what's that like? Um, well, it's one of my best friends, so it's awesome <laughs> because we just cool. get to spend time together and she knows me so well and we, yeah, it's, it's been great. I mean, she's, she is a very type A focused person. She's not, this is like not what she does. She's not an assistant by any means. Um, she's an actor and should also be on a show, but this town's not fair and it just hasn't happened yet. So for this period of time, it was a way for it kind of gives her complete flexibility to make her auditions and do what she needs to do creatively and then helps me with mm -hmm. just get have things you know get done that I can't possibly do, Can, so do, you, do you, and you don't have to get too specific but I'm curious what some of those things are that like yeah, you just I mean, can't seem to handle yourself and you need somebody to help you out with it um, a lot of it well probably the most relevant thing is accounting because I did a lot of guest star work before getting on the show and so it got to this point and some commercials, like by tax time, it's like 15 different employers and it's, yeah. it's the studio and the payroll company and your tax ID number. And then, uh, I incorporated once, you know, once the, when I signed my full-time contract, so then you have your individual income, your corporate income, everything get, it got crazy. Like accounting is so complicated now. And I, didn't want to hire a business manager normally would be someone to do that. I made the decision not to hire a business manager because my family is in like accounting and finance. So my overall goal is to transition some things to my sister. Um, but she doesn't live here in LA. So eventually she'll be the one taking that over. So my friend has helped me set up systems to track everything and have some clarity around what's coming in, what's going in. Like it, it just gets so much more complicated. I mean, mm. I, I think a business manager, there's an absolute reason that they exist. You're just putting a lot of trust in someone. So for me, I was more comfortable doing that with somebody where that trust right. already was a baseline. Right, yeah. Or it was already there. So, so it can be that. It can be accounting and banking. It can be meal prep sometimes. Um, there are times where I've gone to... We, we work together all the time. She's... A freaking amazing actress and like I'll show up for something and she'll have packed me a lunch <laughs> and it's like just even as a best friend she would do that anyway but it's like I, I won't have even realized she knew because she knew enough about my day to know I probably hadn't eaten and maybe I didn't even realize I hadn't eaten yet oh um, so part of it was just her awareness of how much things were changing anyway yeah but it shifts we, we keep it really fluid we always are figuring out what, like, what do we, I got married last, and my husband and I got married last year, so she was a big part of the wedding planning process and helping us with the logistics of that, because that's, like, a full-time job. Wow. So she helped a lot yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. So things really do get way more complicated. Like, I didn't even think about, like, the income, but I guess that's true. You have, like, yeah. 15 different employers, and now you've got, you're incorporated, plus you've got your individual income. I mean, wow. It's yeah. nuts. That's... It that's Absolutely crazy. It's, the, it's the, like the main reason I have yet to incorporate. Like Ben Whitehair did it, and like a year or two ago, and I'm like, and he's you know he's just booked his first pilot. Like he's not even to the series regular sort of you know uh, level yet, and 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 I'm like, I don't even I don't want to like no. Every time uh, I just want to like, put my fingers in my ears and go la. Well, yeah. Then it's not a, I, I remember talking to our, our tax person. We, we share a tax preparer. Yeah. And she's, I remember asking her, and she said, look, if you're not making six figures, like, consistently, it's not really worth it yet. Mm. 
Um, I have heard that it's over fifty thousand. That over fifty thousand is when it pays for itself essentially. Now yeah, that was okay. probably four or five years ago, so whether or not that's accurate or not, that's been the benchmark that my friends and I have used. Um so I should that's not like advice. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. that's what I had heard. So you you could definitely be in uh if you're recurring or getting a good amount of guest stars or I mean commercial, like it's well, maybe not now, but it, you, yeah, I mean, you could get over that benchmark. Yeah. But I think the thing is you'd want to at least know that you're going to sustain that right, for a couple yeah. of years. Or right. by that next year, if you don't meet that, then you're paying for this corporation. Right. And it might yeah. not be you know worth it. So right. I didn't do it for a little while until it seemed like it actually needed to be done. And then I just got married and had to... <clears throat> reincorporate. So now there are three separate entities oh and everything's great. I love it. Mm. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> tell, you, tell your face. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry to go backwards, but I was really interested uh, in asking you about something you said uh, earlier when you were talking about not necessarily the off times, but the busy times. You were saying, I think you said something like, uh, it's about learning to say no, which we have talked about on the, po- I mean, just even just Trevor and I talking have talked about that on the podcast before, let alone uh, guests saying similar things. I'm wondering what kinds of things you're saying no to and if you have sort of a criteria or if it's just like it doesn't matter what it is, I'm too – I would be – it would be too stressful to say yes. Like mm-hmm. what's your what's your process and what kinds of things are you saying no to? Um, right before the show – uh, the period of time that we talked about in our other interview of um, getting really hyper specific career wise, yeah. that was when I started saying no uh, and being really intentional. And I, someone's, I don't know if it was Dallas Travers or who said this along the way to like view your career as a flower pot and that there's this finite amount of space and you know, what you water is what's going to grow. And if you grow something that you don't really want, you're edging out space for something else. And so, and I kind of just held on to that idea. It's probably worded better than that. But it, that idea of, oh yeah, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else you, you don't even know about yet. So really making sure that those yeses align with what you want. So I was pretty clear about uh, ensemble comedy that shoots in LA. And so... My yeses and nos were very much in line with that. Or if it was just something that spoke to me so much creatively, it didn't have to make sense. But if I knew I artistically was going to grow, uh, or if it was like a favor for somebody that I really could do and would really help them, then then that was a yes too. And has that criteria stayed with you now three, four seasons in? Or like have you, I mean, because you just said like you're, 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 um, shooting indie film when you can, right? Indie film is not ensemble comedy that shoots in LA. Right. right? So it's, I mean, they might shoot yeah. in LA, but you get what I'm saying. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like you like expanded in one place, but maybe you're maintaining that criteria in other places. Yeah. I think so now, <clears throat> now I have that full time gig that at least for now is safe and secure. So it, now I'm not as focused on half hour comedy. Cause I feel like after, you know, five, six years of really being hyper-focused there, that's where I've probably got the most street cred as far as the industry is concerned, so I feel pretty good there, and I get to do it. I go to work every day, and I work with sitcom directors and sitcom writers, and like I, I get to have that now, so, so I've been able to, things that I might not have said yes to before, I will say yes to now, because I'm not as, I'm not as worried about the sitcom stuff now. 
I get I get to do it. So it's now it's more about like creatively really playing characters that are very different from what I'm doing at work. And then the things that I generate on my own, um, being really specific or, or I, I like to create stuff for my friends, just being hyper specific about who that's for and what those projects are and what the end game is rather than that. Cause that can be a lot of busy work. You can, you can be really busy kind of running on the hamster wheel in LA of, of producing things or being a part of things that like no one is going to see. And, and it's one of the ways that I feel like we actually avoid stuff. But like, and for me, I real I noticed that for myself early on where it was like, Oh, I'm so busy. I'm not doing anything that actually reaches the people that need to know that I'm here for me to make a living at this. Mm. Um, so I do try to be somewhat specific about if I'm generating something like, like I'm not doing as much improv anymore. So for a long time I did it. It was a huge part of getting on a show and becoming known in that community. It was for me a way to get into the comedy world because I'm not a stand up. Um, and because I didn't grow up out here, I didn't just have great agents. Um, so the only, the only thing that levels the playing field for any of us that didn't grow up out here and don't have context is, is getting your talent seen in a way where you really, um, you can really shine where they can really see something special about you, whether that's theater or a web series or whatever, the improv stand up, whatever it is. Improv was kind of that for me. It was the way that I found in where it was like, I did something different and specific enough there that it translated into a full-time job. Yeah. yeah. So it was really worth it for those years. And I, and I just loved it. I got so much out of it personally. Um, but at this point for me to continue doing improv once a week, that's it's not the best use I get to do it at work I've got a comedy troupe and my friends and so now it's more like well I love improv will always do it but so now I'm focused on creating like an indie feature that improv is a part of for a specific group of people because mm. that's a better use of that time I think yeah I might uh, be wrong uh, asking in three years <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to stay in this in this vein uh, now that we're talking about it since the entire context of this episode is on being a series regular how did the conversations between you and your representation change at that point where you know you were hyper specific <clears throat> you know going for um uh, ensemble comedy shoots in los angeles we know that you did that and now it's like okay we're three seasons in and you mentioned even when we were walking around the lot you were talking about people being like uh, not satisfied, which is another one of my questions actually, not satisfied and like, okay, what am I going to shoot uh, during the hiatus? Yeah. What am I going to shoot on my week off or, or, or what's next? Mm -hmm. And there's sort of the, the, there's like a healthy and an unhealthy drive, mm -hmm. almost like we were just talking about with publicity, like this sort of approach of like, I just want to be seen versus using it as a tool. Um, what, what are the conversations that you're having with your representation now? Like, is it, uh, you know, all right, we're just going to ride this fresh off the boat thing out as long as it can go. And then what's next? What's on the other mm -hmm. side of that? Or is it like, let's be smart about this. Let's, let's be strategic and build up little things here and there as we go. Let's try to get you a, what, a, a comedy feature during the hiatus uh, so that, you know, you're starting to move from comedy television to comedy film and then you know, maybe we'll flip that to something else. And mm -hmm. I, I don't even know what else you want to do now that you like, you know, nailed this one. So do you I don't think I, 
I wasn't clear about it yet. So, so we have had those conversations, but I, before it was me saying, oh, this is, this is what I want. And then that was so easy for them to go, great, let's call this person, this person, and this person and put you in those rooms. And, um, but I, I don't think I got the clarity yet because we are, I mean, we're so lucky to be in our fourth season. Any show is lucky to be in its fourth season. So I don't know if there ever was that moment where it was like, oh, we're good. We got it. It was like this for now. And then maybe come pilot <laughs> season, what's the, what else, yeah. you know? And yeah. cause you just don't know. Um, but now I, I think we have legs. You can never know for sure. Um, we're, we're probably good for a little while unless we have some big like hemorrhaging of viewers, which can always happen. Um, but so yeah, we, we've been having those conversations. I really only have three months of the year that are available. So that's tough. I did change agencies at the beginning of this last year, and that's all they, they get, those three months to try to make something happen. So we focused, we kind of went exactly the opposite way. We focused on features, and we focused on dramatic features. Um, okay. And it was, and, and knowing that it was going to be a lot of people who really don't know me, or <laughs> know me as honey, which is so not me. So we sort of focused on, let's do this educational pass of like so yeah. so here's the actual person right and it was really interesting because it was a little bit like starting over in that I definitely walked into some rooms where they were super ready for me to fail and mm. it wow. was a really interesting feeling because you know you get that feeling where you're in the middle you're in the middle of it and like then they're oh oh like I thought I was doing your agent a favor <laughs> and, then, wow. and then they're there with you like oh yeah. so you're not what I thought um, so, and, and then just having the, like, you know, not taking that personally and understanding that that's just a part of our business. We all get branded. We all get categorized. It's just the, the most simple way that people can figure out where to put us. Um, so, so we, I think put in a good three months of sort of putting that out in the casting community of, so here's what else is there. Um, and then all of the indies that I did. Uh, last year were kind of in that vein. A, a time where I said yes to something where I, I, I like should have quote unquote said no, but I don't regret it for a second is right before I got, I got married in November, we were shooting the show um, and someone came to me with a pilot, a dramatic pilot. Uh, he's a survivor of the Aurora theater shooting and, Ooh. and he had, written a project about it and he came to me with a role and it, they were gonna they're like we'll shoot it on the weekends when you know when you're not working and which to, to do that to take your two days off to shoot anything is like hard pass um and then it was literally the three weekends leading up to my wedding oh, um Oof. and so i was like i just can't but i'll read it and let me give you some names i always give names if i can't do something mm. um and so i i read it on a plane <laughs> the last thing I'd read by this person was a comedy so I actually did not know it was going to be what it was I thought it was a comedy and I was like reading it on a plane and my husband looked at me at some point and I was like sobbing and he's like what's wrong with you I was like this is not funny <laughs> this is this is actually his this is his story and the other survivors that he knows and by the time the plane landed in Phoenix I called him and I was like whatever we have to do like I just I just want it like I want to be a part of this I want to help you guys make this like Let's just figure it out. And I don't think I slept for the three weeks leading up to my wedding um, because it was 
full-time working on Fresh Off the Boat, full-time wedding planning, and then shooting this thing on the weekends. And it was insane and so completely worth it. So sometimes they're, it's like you break your own rules because it's just like, I had to be a part of that. Like mm-hmm. I could, I could not have handled watching someone else get to do that. You know, like I wow. just really wanted to, uh, it was hard. It was hard. I mean, it was grueling, gut wrenching material. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. <laughs> 12 hours of cracking jokes. Like it was really, you know, tough stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, I can't, I can never really give a hard, fast rule. Um, it's probably more guidelines than anything. Cause there are always yeah, things that are worth deviating from that plan. But I always wanted in my head, I always wanted to have like most of the year be dedicated to comedy and then the rest of the year be like digging through the shit of the meaty life stuff because it's really hard to sustain that for like I can't imagine being Aaron Paul on Breaking Bad I, I would just watch scenes and just be like God, I can't imagine mm-hmm. going to work and breaking your heart wide open every single day like I could like three weeks for an indie let's go or the run of a play let's go but oh it's a nine to five for nine months of the year I truly can't imagine how hard that must be and I just know for me life-wise like I want to come home and have something left for my husband (laughs) like I still some people can do that for me though it's like usually when I finish an indie film I am shocked I'm just there's not much left you left it all there Support for this episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. You mentioned something, and I didn't remember exactly what the context was, but you mentioned something about um, gratitude versus being jaded as mm-hmm. a series regular. And so since we're already here talking yeah. about mindset, like, you know, even maybe talk about with the with the busy schedule, with the um, everything that's going on, obviously it's awesome. I mean, I, I think it's awesome, and I know, I, I think Jen and Trev would agree with me. Like, I, I like we would all love to be tired and super busy because we were making art every day. Of course. Right? I'm wondering how, how you maintain and continue and have continued to maintain that through three, now four seasons. Like, what are, like, do you have any gratitude practices or is there something that you say to yourself to remind yourself or something that you look at or do mm-hmm. or your husband says to you or something that, um, or maybe it's many things that keep you on that gratitude train versus becoming becoming jaded yeah I mean it's it's definitely intentional um it has to be on purpose and I think the nature of getting a series regular later in life for me meant that I did quite a bit of guest star work and I saw so many series regulars when I was a guest star who just weren't happy like it wasn't enough um because they got that series regular and like 
it was all about, I don't like the arc that I have, or she has more lines, or what are you shooting on hiatus? Or I didn't get to wear the dress that I wanted to wear to this event because they gave it to so-and-so instead. And I got to see a lot of that as a guest star, as someone where I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you didn't get to wear that dress. Oh, I have to go wait tables tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so sorry that didn't work out for you. <laughs> like, so I got to see a lot of it and, and, and I'm able now on purpose to, to hold myself to that when, when those things happen um because yeah you do you get on the other side of it you adjust to where you are you don't stop having problems you just have different problems they're just they're just new challenges nothing is fixed it's just a new set of things and and you still are who you are so either you focus on the good and you're grateful for what you have or you focus on what you don't have and i i think la in particular is we are so aware in los angeles of where we aren't. We're constantly aware of what we have not achieved yet. And it's a, it's a challenge to, you know, whatever it is, if you get up and you read Deadline or if you look at your IMDb score or if you just, you just, we all have actor friends and you follow them on social media and you see they have this thing that you don't have yet or they got a part that you wanted or just on a show you, whatever it is. We're so, it's, it's, we're inundated with feedback that, well, you don't have this yet, you don't have this. And so it's up to us to, I feel like, to keep ourselves in a place of, well, that, that's that over there, but this is what I have. This is what I control. This is what I contribute. So I, I really think staying in a place of grace and gratitude is so important because, what, I mean, what are you going to do? You're only going to feel good about yourself when you're number one on IMDb. Are you only going to feel good about yourself when you're the highest paid actor of your gender? I mean, I hope not because that will happen for like 10 people. And I promise you, I know a couple of those people now. And once you get to the top of the mountain, it's, a, it's an immediate fear that you're now sliding down. You'll never be there again. You can't hold on to it. The second you get there, you're going down. So, I mean, I just, I see it through... Some of my friends and my husband's friends, um, whether producers, directors, actors, writers, for all of us, we all have that need to, you know, to get to the top. So I think wherever we are at any point, if we can just stop that, just just stop that cycle, stop, stop that, you know, I want to be number one on the call sheet or I want the biggest trailer or like whatever it is um, and, and look at who you are and what you have to give. And then also <laughs> just like have a full life. This should only be a part of you. Like it's acceptable. I feel like when we're teenagers or in our early twenties to be like, this is my whole identity and this is who I am. But then there comes a point where it's like, who else, who you would, if you saw anyone else in any other profession and they were like, this is just who I am. Mm. And they're like, calm down. Like really? That's who you want to be. All the-. But we do that. We, uh, we definitely, we identify as artists. We identify as actors and, which fine, but for anybody, your job should only be a certain percentage of your life. And I do think sometimes we have to categorize it as a job. It's a job at the end of the day. Um, I've heard people joke about like, oh, actors are like attention whores, addicts and stuff. And the stuff you were just saying, I don't know if you've ever known anyone going through recovery or things. I'm working on, I don't care if it's on the podcast, I'm working on recovery from an eating disorder. And the stuff that you're saying this, it's so similar to the stuff they say in Mm. recovery. Like, you have to focus on... You can't keep 
comparing yourself to others or say, I'm going to be better when X, Y, Z happens. And like a lot of stuff that people talk about when, you know, in AA or in other recovery things or just recovery books, it's just, yeah, it's keeping the folks outside yourself. So in a way, I guess like you can compare all the actors like, yeah, we're recovering attention whores. (laughs) Yeah. Recovering attention addicts. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of that is, is what, you know, if you're dealing with a food addiction, alcohol addiction, like you can't look at someone's chapter 20 and compare it to your chapter one. You can't compare someone's chapter one to your chapter one. Like it just, everybody's, yeah, everybody's journey is different. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, what is it? Comparison is the thief of joy or something along those lines. But it's so easy to, especially with social media, to like always be comparing yourself to others. Social media is just a constant, again, constant reminder of like, well, that's not what my life looks like. But also, that's not what their life looks like. That's the highlight reel of that person's life. So it's, it's tough. We didn't used to have this. Um, we, there was never a time before now where you could, like, you were having a bad day. Normally, you were just having a bad day. You'd, like, call a friend or call a family member and just, like, I don't know, vent about your bad day. Now you're having a bad day. You open an app on your phone and you see 200 people having the best day of their lives. So you can't help but go, oh, something's wrong with me. Something's deeply wrong with me that I don't have that or I'm not that happy. Um, so whatever, whatever I think everybody's self-care thing, I'm, I'm a huge believer in therapy and wh- whatever gets you there, whether it's being physical and working out or community or religion, charity, whatever it is, um, just taking good care of yourself because this job ultimately is about kind of being a vessel like we want to, we want to be as healthy as we can, so that we can layer in all the, all the dysfunction on top of it. So if we're working from a deficit of our own dysfunction, <laughs> we're just like automatically <laughs> in our own way. Of our own dysfunction. Mm. I love that. I, I would like to call the episode "Deficit of Dysfunction." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's gonna be episode that. three hundred. Like, I don't want to listen. I don't want to. Why would I want to listen? But that's to just going to be the in the meantime part of the podcast. <laughs> don't yeah. be <laughs> So, so I, you were talking about the things you do to stay healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually. Like, um, you know, I know you work out. You said on a different part of this podcast. Who knows? There's a million parts to this podcast now. You said uh, this is this is going to end up just being us referencing other people that aren't there. That aren't there, right? You're like, oh, yeah. shoot, we didn't actually. You know, we have to cut out that part. Yeah, it's not. It's gonna be a, f- a fun editing project for us. Yes, all. I'm so uh, sorry. Uh, you mentioned you know working out six days a week, but I'm wondering like, do you have um, do you have any gratitude practices or, you know, is there, is, is there something that you do to support yourself in like, in like keying it? I'm, I'm, this is such a weird reference, but it reminds me of the spinning top in Inception. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about? Where like, that's what reminds. That's like home. That's, yeah. That's how, yeah. That's how mm-hmm. he knows that whether or not he's in a dream. Yeah. It's how he makes sure, you know, that, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's no longer in a dream. Uh, like what are, what, what are ways that you remind yourself? Cause you said, you know, you don't have no challenges you just have new challenges so when you're being challenged when chelsea's having a a poopy day (laughs) how do you go oh i'm a serious regular and (laughs) i yeah uh, i have an awesome husband and a great life yeah i think definitely filling your life with great people hands down there's this job will never be able to give us anything anywhere close to what our real relationships give us ever we won't get out of a stage or out of a screen what our friends and family give us. So always keeping that first. 
um, if, if, if they told me tomorrow you could have your friends or you could have your career, like, there's no question. So, so yeah, making sure that that's front and center in your life. Um, and, and, if, and if it's not for one reason or another, uh, whether that's your friends, your family, your community, your whatever it is, we don't, all, we don't all come from perfect families. We certainly are not all in perfect relationships. But just, just making sure that, that we, are, we are focused on people, not because like the job feels like right we were so used to that like intimacy of the group that we work with and we're like intimacy family. intimacy you know you go like on oh set my, or in a I play. know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that word before yeah and it's so easy to be like my new best friends it's like well <laughs> or, <laughs> or you had best friends yeah, before or, you showed yeah. up on set today yeah. that you've known for several years yeah so I have I mean I still have my best friends from childhood I have a very very close group of girlfriends here in LA I have a very close group of friends from college. Uh, I'm close with my family, and and yeah, I have a great husband. Um, the great husband piece is new. Uh, I that was the realm that I struggled Does with he know, the most. Because he, <laughs> he was awful before. He was the worst. Uh, no, but that's where a lot of my stuff showed. I'm just like I I was like pretty pretty on it in every other part of my life, but like not great in a relationship. Like just could just kept making bad choices. Like this mm. person will be great to me even though there's all evidence to the contrary um so so whatever that area is whatever those blind spots are you know working on them in whatever way it feels natural to us keeping people first um i also maintain a connection to my hometown i'm from phoenix uh it's not a particularly exciting place but it's that's my home and uh i go back as often as i can i always feel better going there I think leaving Los Angeles wherever you go obviously home's not great for everybody so just getting out of LA getting into nature uh getting out of the country I think is really important um but yeah leaving leaving this environment and and then choosing to come back to it is really important because I know I got to a point I I, I moved to Singapore for a year and I, ha- I got to choose to come back to L.A. and to feel like, oh, I actually want to sit in traffic to go to an audition in Santa Monica where I won't say anything, but we'll just walk by the camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got to, like, choose That's it again. That's you know. Yeah, exactly. That's when you know you love that Yeah. <laughs> um, you could just let them mm-hmm. sit there and say nothing. Yeah. And then, I, and then there's, there's this walk. This is, like, a really specific thing. At Fox, the studio where we shoot Fresh Off the Boat, there's this one walkway that I used to walk down um, to go to auditions, and I would, I would, I remember that all of the nervousness and all of the like, oh, there's so much writing on this, whether it was a pilot or like maybe a big recurring, and um, walking down this walkway, feeling all of the nonsense bubbling up in my head of I had to, you know, all the pressure, and and then getting into a room and seeing it filled with recognizable faces and I was like the only unknown and, and or listening to them make an offer uh, which many times I sat in a waiting room and heard other people negotiating for the part I was about to audition for um, and then walking back down that walkway just defeated <laughs> like or feeling like a million bucks like I killed it and then not getting the job and though that became a very symbolic well I probably have one on every lot um, but but now I work on this a lot, so I take that walkway to work. I like make sure that that's the way that I go mm. to remind myself that like I, I get to like I have a pass. I, I get to just walk on this lot whenever I want to and go to my trailer and you know go have a free lunch or like whatever it is. Mm. Um, 
rather than worry about the 75,000 things that I don't have. Uh, that's kind of a specific one. I, I, I know it's rare, but I still, hearing that story makes me wish that every actor ever gets to have a story like it. Yeah. You know, know. something, even, even something 1% the, the, the epicness of that. Like, I think it's, um, the day the show ends, I'm going to leave because I won't, obviously I won't know like when the show ends, what's going to be next. I'm definitely like, I'm going to leave up that walkway and I'm not going to cry. I'm going to fucking skip. I'm going to feel so grateful that I got to do this, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, cause what if this is it? What if this is the last one? What if I never get a full-time job again? So it's like, you got to at least enjoy it while it's happening. That reminds me, I remember reading an interview with, I think it was Kate Winslet, or it might have been one of those Hollywood roundtable things where they've got like a bunch of actors of the moment answering, you know, questions kind of like this. And I remember hearing Kate, was like Kate Winslet and Sean Penn and a bunch of like fantastic actors, like iconic faces of our generation, all saying, I'm just waiting for somebody to figure out when I'm, that I'm a fraud. Yeah. So, have you had that thought? And when it comes up, how do you reset yourself? Uh, I ran into it the most when I got really close to getting a series regular. That that period of time was... Because I, I got to this point where I was getting good guest stars and top of show guest stars and recurrings and started to have the snowball effect of, oh, work is turning into other work. And I felt really comfortable. I felt like I'd walk into those rooms and know, like... They actually wanted me to be there, and um, I didn't feel like I was starting from square one. But then I'd get into a series regular, and I, I was like the least amount of credits, and like not a top five agency, and um, and I all that stuff came into my head of like oh, no, I'm just not as far as everybody else. I'm like the least desirable candidate, and I stopped thinking about me and started thinking about the character. I got out of my head. I was like, this is stupid. This is what. I'm experiencing and that's not what I'm here to do. Nobody in this room cares about what I'm going through, nor should they. That's not their concern. That's not what they're being paid for. And that's certainly not what they are looking to pay me for. They care about the person that they wrote and like they already are invested in that person. So I got into the character. So it got me out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was probably a year before I got there Hmm. before I had that breakthrough and it was a game changer for me wow that's awesome yeah it helped now that's an auditioning thing um I think I think all that other stuff we're talking about all the, whether it's the therapy or I love self-help books any whatever that is I think will keep you out of that realm and you will we'll get you as far away from that realm as it can because you'll have your sense of self will come from yeah you your own foundation of obviously a think I'm good at this or I wouldn't have gambled with my whole life to be here. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you gotta keep yourself there back in that position yeah. where you're like, well I wasn't crazy. I'm not a crazy person. So I did this for a reason. I came here for a reason. I really like that because there's that um what do they call it? Not the law of diminishing returns, but basically like you're getting I'll speak for my I'm getting older. <clears throat> so that story of like, I guess I'm just not good enough to like be on a show or mm-hmm. be a bigger role on a feature or something like it, it gets it's easier there's more evidence there's more years yeah. behind yeah absolutely right? yeah I love turning it on its head I love you just shifted the perspective around like 180 you're just like well I'm not a crazy person 
So I obviously somewhere inside of me think I'm good enough to keep doing this mm-hmm. at you know 30 years old or whatever it is. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I love I love uh, flipping it around. That's that's great. I had to do it with um, age because so I'm you know just like I'm like a white girl with a pointy nose and so like my bracket the girls in my bracket they started when they were 16 or 10 and I did I came out here and was in college and and didn't get into the marketplace until I was like 21 and then that small agencies and had to kind of work my way up so I can never I can never have the resume that those people I can't like turn back the clock but so then I I had to get to this place where it was like I was like getting closer to 30 and you know so I was like well then instead of stacking up all the evidence against myself how about I stack it up for me and so I like literally went online and pulled everything I could find about any woman who got their breakthrough role after 30 um, and kept that on my desk and uh, was thinking well like so I so I didn't I wasn't on set when I was 18 what was I doing I was studying Shakespeare in England like they didn't do that I did this instead and so I got to a place where I felt good about it just on my own like no one else gave that to me it wasn't my IMDb score it wasn't my resume well it kind of was my resume because my training but but then I was um when I went for a meeting at three arts which was my dream management company I had to walk in there and go up in the elevator that I know Amy Poehler rides up in and and sit down and be like here's why you guys should sign me and I talked about this I was like I am getting closer to 30 and thank god because I never was 16 like I I never had that temperament I looked like I was 16 but I never felt like that so I'm going to be more castable in my 30s than I ever Mm. was in my 20s and they agreed. And, and I gave them a piece of information for them to then use when they picked up the phone and made their phone calls. And so I got myself to the point where I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm like, 30 is gonna be really good for me. And it was, it was the year I signed my deal. So, and, and I still am like, this, it's always been better for me in my 30s work-wise. Mm. So that's not what we're told, that's not what we hear, that's not the way it's supposed to be, but that's definitely the way that it was for me. 40s, bro. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. We're all over it, man. Yeah. I'll send you more. the list. We got a few more years. Yeah. We got a few I'll more years. <clears throat> but don't, all right, but then don't compare it to mine. That's no, the, no, no. No, it's like. other people who haven't started until 35. Who, so yeah. many. When I made the list, it was I like, forget the list. 30s. It was like, like so 40s, brilliant. 50s, 60s. Like, yeah. look at Edie Falco. Like, it, yeah. I mean, it just. Yeah. Not only are they just like amazing, but also there is definitely something to the struggle that hopefully if you go through the struggle by the time you get it you're not a jerk you like really appreciate it you find the ways to keep yourself grounded you don't I think we might have talked about this but I think there's something about when you live through the rejection and you live through the lean years and you have to find the way to hold on to yourself and your self-worth through that then if you cross over and you have like the years of feast and the years of attention you can't let that in either that's like no more real it's no more true than all the rejection on this Mm. side so you're just like a cool normal person going through the world and quite frankly in my experience if you're just a nice normal actor out in the work environment everyone treats you like you're a unicorn (laughs) (laughs) 
Like you get so much credit for just being a nice person. It's so true. Is that why everyone was looking at me weird on Monday? <laughs> Very possibly. It's still, we're four years into the show, it's what happens to me all the time. Mm. Like, I'll just do a normal human thing, and I get way too much credit for it. Well, was like, you were saying, I think we had it on one of the 7,000 other recordings, because, yes. like, you learn the name of the crew, because you work with them, and it's not, oh, that sound guy over there, you know them by name, and you remembered people's birthdays and brought them, I think it was, like, whiskey that you said you brought someone for their birthday? Oh, my, like, my makeup artist. Yeah. yeah. So we worked together every day, and it was her birthday, I think, when you were there. And still, I still, people don't always do that. Just yeah. She was like, how did you remember? And I'm like, we've worked together for four, three years. Like, how could someone not remember? And the extent to which she was bowled over by that is, like, heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Because she's been on shows forever with a lot of key people in my role and just, like, no one gave her her favorite whiskey along the way. Like, it's just kind of crazy. But, but I do think that just... I mean, you guys must hear this from every guest you have that's on the other side of it, from casting directors or writers or producers, like... They're so used to actors being crazy and self-centered that just being a good person. Hmm. <sighs> we have a word for it. Wactor. This is, uh, is the, the terminology. Yeah. Oh, I uh, wish you guys could yeah. see Chelsea's face. <laughs> oh, it was so good. She's like, yep, that's uh-huh. the one. Yes. Uh, there it is. Yes. I don't know how relevant it would be for this. Is I have so many friends who are like, getting married, having kids, and like, they're putting things off to be good times of the year to do it. Like, I'm not going to get married during pilot season. I'm going to try to get pregnant at this time frame. Like, with your show, with having your hiatus. Like, I mean, you were able to, like, plan your wedding around, like, your week off, I'm hoping. Yes. But well, like, no. We had to pick a date before we knew. So we made the... We, meaning me and the line producer. <laughs> me and my husband and the line producer selected our date. And and we were wrong. We we got as close as we could. We were basing it off of the last few years, and yeah. and we were like we. So I ended up just stepping out for I think for an episode, maybe two episodes. Um, so they made it work, but it just yeah we just guessed it, and I meant no one from the show could go to my wedding, which was fine because it saves you money. <laughs> but yeah, it, we we guessed it as best as we could. Um, the baby thing, I mean. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, you can't. We we tried it. We we were like, at the end of last season, we all talked to, at the show. It was like, we're gonna start trying to have a family, and so you know, whatever. What do you guys? Are you cool with that? That was the main conversation, and they were like, absolutely, so gung ho about it. So they're writing it in. Well, yeah, because it's in this episode. We started already. Yeah, in this episode. Yeah. So so we start we started it because they were like. Let's just do it. We'll just do it on the show, and then you don't have any issues with, you know. But now they're ahead of us. <laughs> so we just had that conversation yesterday. I just went to the line producer and was like, um, just so everybody knows, like, we're not, we're not, we're not pregnant yet. And he was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah, right? Because we were just talking about, like, starting to try. I'm like, we're trying, but we can't. Like, we're in different countries right now. <laughs> like, we're doing the best we can. And, um... Yeah, he was. We were, we were like in his office, and he's like, "I'm so sorry you had to come in here and tell me that this job is so weird." <laughs> you know, we're, we do, it's like we're gonna we're trying to time it all out, but there's we can't. You can never know on our side biologically when it's gonna happen. So they just were amazing and set it up so that if it does, we're covered. Hmm, um, that's amazing. That's so yeah. cool that you can make that kind of request, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, well, totally." shift the entire production in that direction my whole season is about that now That's like incredible. our whole storyline has become about that so and cool. they're so excited you know, we had a lot of writers that have kids and, and have had kids during our 
while we've been in production. So I think everybody's really excited to, to write for it and to talk about some of their own experiences. And then hopefully we're going to explore like Eastern and Western parenting styles. And, um, so yeah, it's opened up. I was just with a couple of writers last night actually. And we were having this conversation. Cause I was like, so I think, are we at a point where we can like, are we going to talk about it? Are Honey Marvin just going to talk about it for a little while? Or are they just going to dive in into it? And they answered my question. And, uh, and they were like, we're ha- they're, they're, you could just, they just lit up. They're like, we're having so much fun with this storyline. So it, it gave them something really fun to play with mm. that, that takes us out of the world. We've always dealt with the Honey and Jessica relationship as like female friends. And so now it gives us a different way for those two characters to interact. And it'll bring different things. It'll always go back to the Huang family. So it'll give them something different to, you know, to react to and interact with. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be, it's interesting. But you can't. We could, we could be this time next year. I don't know. We could literally be closing out a Honey and Marvin baby story, and like that's when I get pregnant. So we'll figure it out. I have had a lot of friends over the years go through it, and obviously the, I'm in a very unique, fortunate position where, well, for now, yeah. um, but where you know they're allowing for it, and we'll we'll be okay. We'll make it work. Um, but yeah, when you're certainly when we're free agents, like it's it's scarier to go well and for me too because even if it happens right now that means I don't have a hiatus next hiatus like that would, would be it it I'd be I, don't, I wouldn't have even those three months that my agents have to work with so it's never a great it's never a perfect time you know so you, you just have to again that that has to be more important even if they'd said no if I'd gone hey this is what we want to do and they were like no then I don't know if I'd be on the show this year like that's got to come first. I mean, I asked about Nanashka Khan, the showrunner. I I had asked around and got very immediate feedback that she's fantastic. Um, But, but to really work with her and work for her is, I mean, it's great. She hires great people and and we legitimately work with like really good people. So I'm very lucky. Them just going like, oh yeah, you're getting married. We'll just write you out of this episode. Oh, oh, you're still your honeymoon's two weeks later. Cool. Well, we'll just, we'll, we'll shoot you Monday, Tuesday so you can leave on Wednesday and not lose a whole episode. Or like when I first started full time, I was still wrapping up arcs on other things and they just made everything work. everyone. I know it was a marathon, but hopefully you found a ton of value in this. We had a great time putting it together. And uh, Trevor had a really awesome idea, which is, you know, with all of the valuable content that we had in this episode, we thought one of the best ways to kind of debrief it was to talk about what our biggest takeaways were. So uh, Trev, what uh, what was one of your biggest, if not your biggest takeaway from uh, this experience of spending um, this much time in the inner workings of a TV show and with uh, someone who's a series regular? You know, it, there, there's so much, there's so many moving parts, but I, it, for me, I mean, you guys know me, I'm just sort of, uh, I like to focus on the inner game. I'm a little bit spiritual and new agey and woo woo at times. And so for me, it just kept coming back to how valuable it is to be the person on set that is just unconditionally kind and curious and helpful. I mean, at one point, Chelsea says um, that one of the most important things she's learned was how to surround herself with really, really good people. And she also mentioned how she makes an effort to really go out of her way. Just, she says, like, you know, when you're when you kind of become known and you become a commodity, people like 
like appreciate you in in a sort of outsized way for just doing normal human things like remembering their name or or remembering their birthday and so not only was it a big takeaway for me to make a conscious effort to surround yourself with people who are like that people who lift you up but also to be one of those people to practice being one of those people and and i get it you know sometimes we all get in our heads and stuff gets us down and life takes a dump on us and and we, we we are not our best selves all the time but that's why they call it a practice. And I think if you can just practice that and attract that to you and be the vibration that, that creates more of that in the world, uh, you can go really far, really fast as a human, you know, uh, especially in the, in the entertainment industry, which, as you said, AJ, is so collaborative. So I'd say if there was one takeaway for me, it's like if I was to go out into the world and focus on one thing, building one practice into my life from everything we just heard, it would be that because I really feel like that's a, a foundational, fundamental principle uh, on how to live as such that you can sort of create and sustain success like Chelsea's enjoyed uh, in your life. Beautiful. Yeah. How about you? Well, you just you actually just said it. You said the word, which is collaborative or collaboration. Um, you know, it does go hand in hand with what you were saying. It, it, it's it's not any different from what you were just saying. I just loved hearing about the collaboration. You know, we um, when we're at a certain level, a co-star level, a guest star level, uh, even a recurring level, uh, it can feel sort of siloed for a little while because, you know, thus far, <clears throat> with very few exceptions, I've only spent like one day on a set. You know, there's only been a couple of projects where I spent an extended period of time on set. And these people, not only are they um, all in it to make the best product possible, uh, but they're all starting to get to know each other and trust each other, and they have um, a shorthand, and they know what each other is capable of, and they know um, <clears throat> they they feel comfortable enough and vulnerable enough to start taking risks. And unless you are as an actor spending time doing, uh, for instance, a lot of theater, like like you and I used to do, Trevor, with the Los Angeles Theater Ensemble. Uh, you're not necessarily um, in a collaborative environment all the time, which is crazy because it's a collaborative art. You know, we spend so much time being sort of siloed, like working if you're working on your business side of things, your administrative side of things, um, that can be uh, a lonely prospect. Going to and from auditions can kind of be a lonely prospect. Um, and then having one day on set, you don't necessarily get to, you know, uh, uh, get to know people. And I tried, uh, granted, I'll do my, my best to be the best collaborator I can be, even if I'm only on set for half a day. But, uh, I really loved hearing about the collaboration with all of the moving parts and all these people who are committed to making the best product possible. Uh, that was really, it was just like, I don't know, it's like a, a beautiful thing to, to be reminded of, um, even in this big sort of, um, uh, machine that is Hollywood and the entertainment industry in general. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's easy to forget that within this big machine, that's a great word for it. There are a lot of extremely generous, kind, eager human souls 
that that are actively working to tell stories that make the world a, a more just, more compassionate, more loving place. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Strangely enough, we get caught up in the glitz and the glamour and the what are the rules and you know who who do I know and who who knows me and how many followers do, should I have and like we get caught up in that stuff. It, it, it when you just get down to it, it, it's about. I think Conan O'Brien said it: "Be kind and work hard." Somebody asked him, like, what's the secret to your success or something? He said, be kind and work hard. And that, that really is about it. <laughs> That's yeah. about it. And, we, and none of us goes anywhere alone, you know? Especially art in general is a collaborative process for the most part, you know? And, and we just we, – we don't always get those opportunities. And so I was just relishing – even though I'm not on the show, I was relishing in that um, environment and in that energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a, a lot of content, but we worked really hard. Everybody on the IAP team worked really hard to bring this to you. So we hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you thought. You can always shoot us an email, leave a comment on the website, uh, send us a voicemail via the website, or you can call our our old dusty voicemail line. <laughs> Ye olde voicemail yeah. line. What, what is it? Two one three two actors. Yep, 213-222-8677. I still have that memorized. Or, you know, send us a voice memo. We love uh, getting our our listeners' voices on the podcast. Uh, We're going to save picks of the week and all that fun stuff until next time. So uh, anything to add before we boogie? (laughs) No. All right. Today's episode of Inside Acting, the 300th episode of this podcast, was produced and hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Team IAP also includes the inimitable, unequivocable, unparalleled Jen Levin, Grace Gordon, Gadala Gubarek, and Deborah Smith coming out to the uh, 300 party on Monday to meet each and every one of them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a 100% turnout. Uh, you can visit us online at insideacting.net, of course, to sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes. We also are going to have links to a bunch of good stuff that we talked about in this episode, uh, in the show notes of this episode. We're also on social media and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. You can directly support the continued production of Inside Acting with either a one time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution. Just visit us at insideacting.net to learn more about all that and help us keep the lights on and episodes like this one coming. That is it. Closing out this chapter, episode 300 of Inside Acting Podcast. Thank you all so much for helping us hit this milestone, for listening every week, for engaging with us on social media, sending in your questions. Uh, more than anything, you've heard us say it time and time again, So, but it, it, it will almost always bear repeating. More than anything, we just are uh, uh, so pleased to be a part of this community um, of conscious, kind, hardworking artists. We'll see you all all of those artists at the party on Monday, December 11th, 7 p.m. at the parlor, and be back in your feed soon with this special in-between-isode that uh, Trevor was mentioning a couple of times earlier in this episode, all about voiceover. And, of course, with our year-end retrospective in episode 301. Until then, here's to 300 more. 